Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I reunite with high school classmates from my graduating class of Wissahickon High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. Want to thank J.P. Meyer uh, first and foremost for kicking off the the new 200 level of We Weren't Friends in High School, uh, episode 201. That is available for everyone now. Uh, lots of great fun conversation about musicals, and uh, I've heard from JP a little bit over the past couple of weeks, and uh, we might get back together and, and maybe keep the conversation going a little bit since we've got, <laughs> since we've uh, still got all this downtime. Of course, 201 with JP is the first official video that we've done for We Were Friends in High School. Uh, that is at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. I hope you guys enjoyed it if you did it that way. If you're listening to the podcast, awesome. On the YouTube, you're not going to get uh, the beginning and end of the podcast. Uh, obviously, with these intros and outros where you'll hear updates about things that are coming and who's going to be on the podcast on the following episode. But at the same time, the YouTube's going to allow me to drop some other stuff that'll be coming uh, in the future. So again, that's youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. You can subscribe to that channel. Uh, we just just launched a wire recap show. First watch, rewatch with a buddy of mine from WWE, fellow Temple graduate. Uh, that is at the same channel. Just a lot of things. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast. We were friends in high school everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere. The little guys, the big guys. And there's a new Facebook page, facebook.com slash WWFNHS. You'll be able to get some updates. You'll also be able to see who's coming up on the following week. And it's a community for you guys to share pictures, uh, memories, have conversation with each other, and just be able to kind of reconnect. And of course, there's an Instagram. We weren't friends in high school. No apostrophe. All right, one more thing to promote. Of course, this is a Monday when the podcast drops. Tomorrow is Tuesday. And on that day, I will be a guest on a podcast called Volcano Vinyl. It's a podcast where two of my buddies from North Penn High School, who are musicians and played in bands that you may have heard of, like The Starting Line and Inkling and The Minor Times, they do a weekly podcast where they listen to a full vinyl record and talk about it. Sometimes they know what they're talking about. Sometimes they don't. But sometimes they also have guests on the show. And myself and another friend uh, recorded an episode with those two hosts, Brian and Brian, and uh that episode will come out on Tuesday. We are reviewing a classic 90s era hip hop album. I uh, don't think you'll be disappointed. It'll be fun. It's a great album. I talk a lot about music. And so if you enjoy things like that, uh, it's a good time. You can check it out. That'll be Tuesday. Volcano Vinyl. Same place you get podcasts like this. You can get that one. Let's, uh, let's talk about this week. Uh, my guest this week is Kelly Rosario a.k.a. Kelly Brailsford. I had been wanting to interview Kelly for a while, and one of the reasons is because Kelly had been living in Japan with her family, her husband and her kids, and, of course, listening to the podcast, we all know Japan is, like, the place I want to go. And so I'm telling people that, oh, I can't wait to take this podcast international and go visit Kelly in Japan and do the podcast out there. I thought that'd be so fun. Well, then, not too long ago, Kelly actually moved back to the United States, and uh, all those plans were ruined. And so as soon as the the lockdown happened and, and I started looking at maybe some more out of state guests, Kelly was one of the first people that I reached out to also because she was talking about getting off of Facebook. 
Uh, and so I, I didn't have any of her information. I figured if I'm going to do a show with her, I got to get her information. I got to get her right now. And I reached out to Kelly and turned out she listens to the podcast. She was very excited to do it. And uh, that's what this conversation is. This was recorded at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. It's probably been, I don't know, five weeks. We do talk a lot in this episode about race. It's something that Kelly and I both dealt with growing up uh, as far as looking for acceptance and looking for a connection. And I didn't really know going in that Kelly felt that way. Um, But we talk a lot about it. And she talks about a lot of personal details with her family and race. And with everything going on, it's just pretty incredible how timely uh, some of this conversation is. Uh, And so I hope everyone listens and takes something from it and Kelly's experiences and my experiences. And at the same time, uh, we have a lot of fun with each other. Uh, I will say, you know, this conversation was a lot longer than the podcast. It really felt like we were doing this face to face at times. And if you end up watching this on YouTube, uh, you can actually see how long this interview goes, because by the time this podcast finished, it is pretty much dark outside. Uh, And so that is fun to see. That's on the YouTube. All right. I think that's enough talking. Uh, Let's go into the conversation with Kelly Rosario. And like, I'm loving the podcast. Thank you. I didn't know you're listening. (laughs) Yes, it was. So I started listening when I think Danielle was on Cataldi. That was early, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm like, gosh, there these some of these people I have not talked to, heard from, seen in so long. And I mean, some of that's growing up, but most of it's that I don't live nearby anymore. So, you know, it's it's not just uh, refreshing to see everybody and know that everybody's doing okay, but it's also very nostalgic. Like, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I haven't seen her since I was 16. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't graduate with you guys, so. Really? See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I left at the end of junior year. That's wow. So I spent sixth grade through 11th grade with you guys, and then I went to another high school for graduation because my, you know, my dad was in the army. Mm. So we moved to the Poconos. Yeah. Wow. There's literally nothing out there. Yeah. That's, um, I've gone camping up there. I've probably, you know, I've done camping. That's, yeah. (laughs) I did a wedding up there. Camping, hunting. That's it. There's nothing. There's no shopping. I mean, there's nothing fun to do. But I think while I was living out there, Alea, because Alea went to East Stroudsburg, right? Mm-hmm. I think Alea went to East. Yeah, which is not far from where I lived at all. It might have been like a good thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, but I never. She and I never um, had the opportunity to see each other while she was there. So, you know. But yeah, while I was living out there, she was out there for a little bit too. So. That's pretty cool. Wow. Um, we went to the end, but let's, I guess, start at the beginning. I have so many questions off of that. I hope I remember it. Um, <laughs> because when you say you left in 11th grade, like I remember you when I was thinking yesterday and today kind of about you, my mm-hmm. memories of you. And I was literally just looking like, what were the songs? Like we had chorus together. Yeah. And we had that goofy teacher, Mr. Schwartz, I think his name was. Yes. <laughs> and he was like a he was like a replacement teacher for a semester for our teacher that was on sabbatical. Uh-huh. Maternity leave. Uh-huh. And we it was in band class. 
Yeah. I just had JP uh, here. I was, I was talking to JP on Monday and we were talking about when, when the sewer pipe broke in chorus and we had to move into the band, into band for, for mm-hmm. chorus for like the rest of the year. And it was yeah. you, me, Coop and Alea. Yeah. And we would all just hang out and sing songs. And I told Alea this and she doesn't remember, but we used to play Anywhere by 112 on the piano. It's the only yes. song in my life I ever knew how to play. <laughs> Boom, 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 boom. That's hilarious because I was telling when, you know, I was telling my husband about today, um, about our, about your podcast and, you know, our, our conversation. And he said, well, he said, well, what do you remember about high school? And I said, Brad used to do the most impeccable Juan Ye impression. We we were clowns. We were we were clowning the whole time. Um, we always talked about Martin, right? Which was we knew you and I were probably the few people who knew almost every line from every episode. Like that was so oh funny. But it was that was that's really my probably fondest memory of you is that Wanye impression because you did it so well and I just was like how is he and then you every run you had like this <laughs> I got it I can still do it <laughs> we were clown name but you know it's I just thought it was I thought it was interesting that you name your show we weren't friends in high school because I kind of felt like I wasn't really friends with too many people in high school. I mean, I had friends, but I didn't have a large circle. Um, But I always felt like you and I had this extremely funny connection. Like we could always connect in comedy and we both had this kind of, this thing that nobody else knew when it came to Martin, when it came to music we always were on the same page. So that was, you know, that was, that's really like one of my fondest memories is music class. Well, choir. So what I was also thinking was like in general, and you know, this goes back to my talk with Alea, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of like not having a whole lot, not really having like black friends, you know, and, and when I think of like friends, you know, I give the definition all the time that, you know, kind of have to know each other's parents or you had to go to their house. And so I kind of consider everything that just happened in class acquaintances, but you know, my best friends, you know, being like, like Ray and and Mm -hmm. some others throughout school, were all pretty much white. Um, And so hanging with you guys was really my only time to, and my dad did not like, like modern stuff. My dad was old school, uh, Afro, you know what I mean? And so yeah. like, you know, 1950s, watch John Wayne type shit. So like yeah. to have like a black community to be able to talk about comic view and Oh know, my God. Like comic view. Yes. <laughs> and we used to always sing the theme song, comic view on BET, coming to you six nights a week, get your laugh on. Hey, you want to get your laugh on? <laughs> That show was not funny. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what's crazy. It's like years later, I discovered some of the guys that were on the show went to temple with me. Really? Yeah. And one of two of them now write for Kevin Hart. Wow. Were they in that Mm -hmm. documentary? 
Yes. Because the were. dude with the uh with like the waves looks Same. really, really yeah, he looks really familiar. He went to Temple. Is that the guy from Comic View? Uh-huh. Yeah, he looks every time I see him, I go, that guy looks really familiar. Like I've seen him and I didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and Naeem, Naeem writes for Kevin as well. He was also um on there on the documentary and he he went to Temple. Okay. So that's yeah. But we, you know, I think I mean, even though Comic View wasn't funny, again, like Martin, it was like a big part of our, our growing up. It was up. ours. Yeah, it was ours. It, it was it was part of our um, our generation. And I, I mean, a lot of kids I grew up with, I won't say grew up with, I don't necessarily feel like I grew up with anybody, um, but a lot of kids that we knew watched that show. I mean, they might have had to sneak to watch it, though. So, look if you didn't if you didn't watch Comic View when the Yin Yang when the Yin Yang twins said "Get loose with it, get loose with it," like Short said, "Let Bruce Bruce hit it." You don't you know, know who, who they're Bruce talking Bruce about. Was. That's yeah, right. I had no idea. I knew who Bruce Bruce was. I knew. <laughs> that was a Comic View thing. <laughs> we were Bruce Bruce was on there, and I. Didn't I think he had an S curl when he was on Comic mm-hmm. View? Yep, and in I, that blue I, I suit. Remember, yeah, he looked like Luther cool. Vandross. <laughs> that Luther. Oh my gosh! But um, you know, it's interesting. You said that we were like your um, your connection to Black culture um, because it was even though like both my parents are black i always had to search for a connection to black friends because i moved around so much um and i think that a good part of us um i think a good part of black kids in general is always searching for a connection to people like you um and i don't necessarily know that white kids deal with that and i could be wrong they might um, but growing up black, I always felt like I had to have or had to search for and create a connection with other black kids. Uh, and, and it was, and some of me thinks that that comes from not just moving around so much, but my parents had this desire to live in a diverse neighborhood. Um, and so we moved to Ambler where, uh, we were on, Park, we, we lived on Southern Avenue and I maybe had, there might've been three black families on my block when we moved there, you know, and Ambler looks very, very different now, but you know, we, the idea that we were moving to a diverse neighborhood, which was predominantly white, you know, for, for my parents meant safety. Uh, it meant better schools. And, but unfortunately, and consequently, that meant I didn't really have the connection to other black kids like I needed to have. And that's a huge part of your growing up and your coming of age as a black person, I think. Um, yeah. So it was, it, it was in, when, when I was in middle school, I didn't really have a lot of black friends. And I noticed that when I went to high school, the friends that I had in middle school, even though I went to high school with my friends from middle school they weren't the same friends and when I got to high school that's when I found you know my black friends and Mm. I was and I just gravitated toward them like oh yes 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 this is (laughs) you know yes collard greens and cornbread and mac and cheese (laughs) 
<laughs> like, yes, this is what I need. This is me. This, And um, it wasn't that I didn't want to have my white friends or carry them with me, uh, but that's not who I was. Um, and so I, I wanted to be with people who were like me and who could understand why I felt the way that I felt at certain times. Um, or, you know, they could help me understand certain looks that other white kids would give me or, you know, certain responses I would get from white kids when I would say things. So that connection is important. And I, I feel you 100%. Wow. Um, I want to keep talking about that so much more. Maybe that's maybe at the end, we'll just keep going or it'll happen in the middle, but I, I want to do some structure to this because we'll get 45 minutes into this and we'll never even find out yeah. like how you got to was Hicken. But when did you, when did you, so I didn't actually know that you were, that you moved around like that. At least I don't remember knowing that. I might've known that, but, um, yeah. so when did you actually come to Wissahickon? So I don't remember the year, but it was the summer before my sixth grade. So maybe okay. 93, maybe 93, 94 about then. Um, and we moved to Wissahickon. We moved to Ambler from Kentucky. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We lived in Fort Knox. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, We lived in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I didn't go to elementary school. I went to intermediate school. So it's only fourth and fifth grade. And then we moved to Ambler. And we moved to Ambler. My dad was, again, he was Army, but it was time for his recruiting um, rotation. And so he wanted to be home. He wanted to be closer to where we're from. And we're originally from West Oak Lane. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Wow. Andrews and Ogons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. My favorite <laughs> wing place is on Ogons. Is it? Yeah. It's, it's now it's called barbecue town, but it used to be called like, uh, like Chang seafood or, okay. or Wong seafood. Um, I swear I'm not being racist. It really is one of those like types of names. No, I think it's Wong's. Yeah. It's Wong, yeah. Wong seafood. It's like an all Asian family, except for one, one light skinned brother with a Jerry curl. And, uh, they used to sell whole fried chicken wings. This is so wild for 30 cents a wing. So you get like, you, so my dad and I used to go and get like 12 wings for me and him for like uh eight bucks <laughs> with fries Jeez. but they would do gizzards and trout and you know all the stuff that, yeah. that we yeah. like and 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 scallops and all that and it Ooh. stayed in circulation it's probably passed over four times into seemingly different owners but always basically the same stuff and always yeah. the wings Ooh, so I, you know what i i think i remember it being wong's but i don't remember ever going I'm going to have to ask my grandmother. She has never left West Oak Lane. Right She's, by Pagano's on the same block. Ooh. Same block. Pagano's? With, yeah. That's where my heart is. I love <laughs> Pagano's Strombolis. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you're so from I'm, West Oak Lane originally. I'm from Your West parents Oak are from West Oak Lane. Yeah. And we moved to... Um, we moved to Ambler. And we at first lived on Park Avenue. <laughs> Um, over by, I used to live by, right uh, across the street Pickering? from Lisa Richard. I lived right across the street from Lisa Richard, a few doors up from Justin Markley, Laura McCall. Um, who else? Is that by Pickering Field? It was, well, yes. So actually, because Park Avenue is like a, 
like a, a, a horseshoe kind of thing. Mm. Yes, Pickering ends up. If you left Pickering and went down the street and turned, that would be Park Avenue. Or is that Knights Park? Is it near either? Well, it's actually between Knights Park and Pickering. Knights okay. Park is right on the They're two parallel blocks. to Park They're Avenue. They're two blocks from each other, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's so, and then the following year when I was in seventh grade, we actually moved to the parallel street, Southern Avenue, and we stayed there until 11th grade. Okay. So coming in sixth grade, so the way the schools are set up in Wissahickon, there's all these different elementary schools and then everyone's kind of thrown in into pods. I wasn't even in really any, my pods with any friends at all through middle school. Um, so for me, it was rough because I did. I was felt like I was starting over socially. For you, mm-hmm. you were starting over. What was it like not yeah. knowing anybody? That was a challenge. Um, I remember gravitating toward Grace Wong when she was the new kid. I was like so excited to because I'm like, oh, new kid, new kid. Okay, um, but you know, she de- eventually developed her circle of friends, and but I, I did. I always felt a little socially awkward, and that didn't stop with being the new kid, you know, years later, I felt socially awkward too. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was kind of uncomfortable, but I befriended, um, I kind of always wanted to be an educator and you know, now you are. um, so I befriended the teachers, right? So I really liked Miss McKnight, you know, and I cannot find that lady anywhere, but anyway, um, and one of my favorite teachers was Mr. G. And I never had his class, but I did like to go, you know, talk to him and hang out with him, you know. So those are kind of my memories, honestly, kicking it with the teachers. Okay. Um, And then seventh, eighth grade, did it get, well, you said you you did eventually have friends in middle school. They changed in high school, but what was kind of the, the spark for you in seventh, eighth grade for you to start like kind of gathering friends I think maybe I just wasn't, I think that first year I wasn't really in a pod. I don't remember which pod I was in. I think I was in a pod, but I wasn't in a pod with uh, the people I befriended in seventh grade. So I think it might have just been, you know, being introduced to more people and getting to know more people. Yeah. But, um, Seventh and eighth grade, I was friends with like Alicia Conti and Heather Goodwin. Um, was I, was Maria? I can't remember if Maria and I were friends, you know, Maria Gigliotti. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if we were friends in middle school or high school, but you know, was she was Rachel, really was Rachel Moydell in that group? She wasn't. No? She wasn't. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't. Trying like, to think I of the, was, it, was Rena in that group? Rena was in that group. Okay. I'm trying to and, think of like Alicia's crew at that time. Cause she was yeah. just on the show. So, yeah. So the, I know Alicia had like a really big circle and Heather and Rena were part of that circle. I wasn't, I just was really cool with Alicia and Heather and Rena. And we actually had Rena and Heather and I had really weird nicknames for each other. So, um, so they called me Ninny Brailsfart. First of all, nobody could ever re- pronounce my last name. 
right? I was Beesworth. I was Bradford. Nobody ever. Brailsford, right? Brailsford. 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 Yeah. yeah. So my, my married name is a relief, but uh, yeah, nobody says they call me Nanny Brailsford and Alicia was Alicia Cunty. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, and Heather was Heifer Breakwin. We just, you know, had ridiculous little, but we, you know, we were 12. Yeah. So things like that were, you know, they were funny to us. But that was, you know, those were my friends or, you know, we didn't really kick it outside of school because my parents were very strict people. They are still very strict people. Um, But it was, you know, they were a nice little circle when I was in middle school. Um when you say that they were strict as far as like having friends over you going over other people's houses, all of it, were you able to like have friends in the neighborhood? What was, what were, what were your limitations? What were you allowed to do? Um, so my parents were, my parents adhere to their faith very closely and so as a kid, my friends had to come from church. Uh-huh. And it wasn't necessarily that my parents were like, we don't like those other kids. It was just a matter of if they go to our church, we already know them. Sure. And so there was that. Um, but no, I really couldn't do parties. I really couldn't have friends over. I really couldn't have sleepovers like other kids were having. Um, I was friends with Jennifer Sloss. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I was friends with Jen Sean's Sloss. This, Sean's going to be on the show this week. Is he? Yeah. His okay. show, his show airs on Monday. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was, I was friends with Jen Sloss in high school and my parents even made her feel like, you know, when she would come over, they would make that awkward. It was all, mm-hmm. it was more me going to her house than them than her coming to mind because my parents would make it like super awkward um, or uncomfortable for me because I was always scared. Like, Oh my God, what are they about to say to her? You know, it was, it was weird. It was like every, even if I brought up, if, even if it was just a girlfriend, my parents would treat it like I was bringing a new guy to the house. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like the worst situation ever. Um, so they, it was, it was definitely a challenge to develop friendships. And later on in high school, I did develop friendships with people I went to church with. Um, and I'm actually, you know, still really close to them today. So, but yeah, my parents, they used to call my dad DMX. They would call because he would walk, we had Rottweilers and he would walk our Rottweiler down the street without a leash Oh and my gosh. people in the neighborhood would come. Yeah. <laughs> and he was bald and he yelled. She's oh, very DMX-ish. But yeah, my dad was, he was, um, or he is, he's cool. But when I was growing up, it was hard to live under that. You can't do anything. So my dad, uh, my dad was very strict and also had like a caricature, but uh, we had a shepherd and he didn't walk down the street with him, but he would walk down the street. Usually he was just like looking for me in like mm-hmm. slippers and a robe. Like he would come, <laughs> yeah. he, would, he would like come home from work and he would like look in the kitchen and see that the dishes hadn't been washed. And so the first thing he would do would be go upstairs and change because you don't come outside in your work clothes. Yeah. Yeah. But he would change into like his slippers and robe. Then he would come out looking for me. <laughs> 
because you definitely go outside in your slippers and robe. <laughs> oh man, yeah, those are outdoor indoor slippers. <laughs> and like, hey, here comes, here comes my dad in like giant afro and a beard like twice as big as this. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's yeah. I think growing up with strict parents is tough, but it has its, you know, it has its benefits, you know? Yeah. You know, even if, um, even if I don't adhere to the things that, you know, my dad taught me a lot and, and I stopped seeing my dad when I was like probably 15, but prior to that, you know, I grew up with them like through all those times that a dad is supposed to teach a kid at least most of the important stuff that you would assume you teach them, you know, as far as being a good person. And at that point I, had learned enough from, and my mom as well, but I learned enough from my dad at least to know when I was doing stuff that was wrong. Even if I wasn't mm -hmm. fixing my behavior, I at least knew it, you know? So right. I didn't have a, 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 la a lapse in understanding at least. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, it worked at least in that way. And I think later on, you know, and with my mom, once I unlearned some of the things that the other things my dad taught me, <laughs> 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 started to balance out pretty good. Yeah. Um, but that's important too. We unlearn things that our parents have taught us. We don't have to, you know, and I, I thought I had great parents, but there were things of theirs that I had to unlearn. Mm. So I feel you. Uh, so what would you do when you're home, when you, before you get to high school, you're in middle school, you're, you know, 12, 13, 14, what are you doing when you're home after school? Oh, so I was a latchkey kid. I was, and that actually started when I was about nine. But in middle school, I was definitely responsible for caring for my younger brother and sister. So I would get home from school and I would wait at Pickering until the bus dropped my brother off and my sister. And then I would get them and go home. Mm. and stay at home with them and watch them cook dinner if I needed to, help with homework if I needed to. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I look back at my childhood and I think I spent a good portion of it already parenting, you know. Um, but we did what we had to do because we didn't have anything. You know, my mom had to work, my dad had to work, and, you know, so I, I did a lot of parenting of my siblings. Mm -hmm. And that was my extra time. Um, if my parents came home from work early and I wanted to go out to play, I would go out to play. And nowadays that sounds weird because 12 year olds don't go out to play. They get on their phones and talk to their friends or, uh, you know, they, you know, get a, they navigate social media. But I did. I when I got on my bicycle and, you know, rode around, you know, I was if I was if I had those few minutes or maybe an hour of freedom. I was out. I would just I loved, get on my bike and ride around the neighborhood. I love riding bikes when I was a kid. Yeah. That's what we used to, I, I grew up in South Ambler and that's okay. what we used to do all day, all night was just ride bikes till, till the, till the streetlight came on. Yep. Oh yeah. But that streetlight. Streetlight came on at eight, had to go home. That's yes. And you know what? If I wasn't home, my dad had this whistle that you could hear. Now Southern Avenue is two blocks over from Knights Park. If I was at Knights Park, I could hear that whistle. My dad has this whistle that just, it's like it reverberates off of every building. And he would just, he would come outside and he would whistle. And my brother and I would have this look like, 
oh, we gotta go, you know? <laughs> because if he had to whistle, that meant that street light was on too long before you made it all. How about this? How about this? Did you ever, did you ever, was it ever like getting close and you thought you might, cause this used to happen to me. You think you hear the whistle and you're like, yes. what's that? But you don't hear it. And everyone's like, you're crazy. You don't hear it. And then like nine minutes later, it does you happen. It? You're like, I knew it. I could have beat the whistle. I should have left. <laughs> Yes, yes. And I actually have gotten in trouble a few times for not for ignoring my conscience. Because <laughs> it's just your conscience that makes you hear that whistle, mm-hmm. right? Oh my gosh, it has. And there was, I remember one time I didn't hear the whistle. And my father used to always say, if you don't hear that whistle, you went further than you were supposed to, you know. Mm. And there was a time when I didn't hear that whistle. But then I heard my mother's voice and I looked around. I didn't see her. So I was like, all right, well, you know, it's fine. And then I heard her voice again a few minutes later and I looked and she was there. And I was like, then I knew I knew I was in trouble because my parents used to my parents didn't play them games. Um, For me, my dad, you know, would go. I felt like would go kind of overboard in public. Um, And. You know, when that happened, and I grew up with parents that were stricter even mm-hmm. than me, than my yeah. dad, uh, or I, kids whose parents are stricter than my dad. Yeah. Um, and we would kind of like talk about, oh, that kid, or, you know, that kid, that kid can't go anywhere but across the street, or, you know, that kid's not allowed yeah. to play with us. Or um, did you ever feel like you were the subject of talking, or were you ever like embarrassed kind of by the strictness of? your parents? Not in middle school or high school. Um, My mom showed up to my school a few times in elementary, you know, and she would just sit in my classroom. I'd be like, oh my God. Um, There was actually one time my mother and father were publicly, they publicly expressed their disappointment with me. And it was in social studies. It was a, I got an email or my, we're well not an email. What am I talking about? My parents got a phone call from Mr. McCoy. <laughs> from Mr. McCoy? Mr. McCoy, seventh grade social studies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mr. McCoy and I just didn't get along. He, I don't think anybody got along with him. Now, I was pretty quiet in class, except chorus or choir, you know, but he he didn't like me. So there was a moment when I yawned really loud in class and he took that as disrespect. So he called my parents and my parents came to the school and I used to take the bus, but, you know, he called my parents. My mom called the office, had me called down. So I get to the office. She's on the phone. Don't take the bus. I'm on my way. Like, all right. So she came to the office and it was embarrassing. Chewed me up. Don't have these people calling me at my job. And and I was like, I didn't have him call you at your job. I didn't tell this man to call you. So then my parents came in for a meeting and they met Mr. McCoy and they didn't like him either. So they were like, all right. You know, they still (laughs) encouraged me. They still say, you know, you don't be disrespectful. I was trying to explain to them, like, I'm not, I wasn't disrespecting him. That's just his way, Mm -hmm. you know, 
every little thing kids did get on his on his nerves. Um, but yeah, my mom, she came to the school and but it was in the office though. There were maybe one or two other kids there that I didn't know, but mm-hmm. in middle school and high school, she didn't show up and cut up on me. So I'm grateful for that. My social studies teacher in seventh grade was like very similar, Mr. Foch. Oh my gosh, Mr. Foch. Wait yeah. a minute. Was he which pot was that B pod? Uh yeah. Oh, I didn't, okay. So I, I didn't have Mr. Post, but I never heard good things about Mr. Post. <laughs> my mom still talks about him. She's like, remember that guy? We kind of think he was, I don't know. Eh, fuck it, it's my show. We kind of thought yeah. he was racist. <laughs> and I remember I did like this Frederick Douglass um, one man show for, do you remember yeah. History Day? Mm-hmm. And everyone had to do like a history present. Well, I did like a one, right. I was the drama kid, right? So right. I did the, I did um, Frederick Douglass one man show where I like talk and I brought in like this mock-up of, of his newspaper and, and like did this whole like presentation as Frederick yeah. Douglass giving his history. I wish you could remember that stuff now, but, and I remember he was like, like, I think he, he was like riding me and I think he like gave me a bad grade or something or, or wouldn't let me go or something. It was like weird. And, and it was yeah. like this big hoopla. And then like, we had to get like the multicultural society involved. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was like a whole thing. And you know, I, my dad always had a tendency to like push things, you know, into the racist zone. Like mm-hmm. that guy's a racist, that guy's racist. Cause mm-hmm. he was so angry. Um, yeah. But my mom was kind of on board with this too. And, you know, it was kind of, it was so weird. So for you to say that you never heard anything good makes me feel better than. Yeah. I, when, when it comes to my, when it comes to my children, um, I teach my kids about race and racism, but I always teach them that not every negative experience you have with a person who doesn't look like you is about racism, but you will know racism when it happens. And so I don't doubt my kids when they tell me that they think they're being treated differently because of their color or because of their race. Mm-hmm. I never doubt my kids and I, and I, I deal with it and I tell them, you know, everybody's not, everybody is not going to accept you. They're going to look at you and say, well, they're different because, or I don't like them because they're different and their differences, the way they look. And that's not what I want to get with. Um, But I mean, even at 11, like my son's dealt with experiences like that with other kids and one kid that he was calling his friend. And that's, you know, and my son was, despite being taught over and over what that looks like, this kid was calling him the N word more than Mm. more than once. And he just said, well, yeah, I know that's racist, but, you know, and I said, you know, we don't. So um, it was, you know, he even at his young age, he's experiencing racism with kids. And I try to teach my kids that when you feel that way, recognize it and don't let it pass you by. Stop whatever you're doing and just say, "Okay, this is wrong. I can't I can't do you. Because you don't, you're not willing to do me right now. That's scary. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's I scary. Mean, the boy was texting him. He called him a dumb fucking nigger in a text message. Wow, that's scary. this is an 11 year old. Yeah. You know, I 
I used to have friends that would like make jokes. Um, and I always felt like I kind of had to like laugh it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even today I have friends that, that make jokes about stuff. Um, but you know, as you get older and when I'm like, you know, 37 now and mm-hmm. I have a better sense of people and character, um, and a history, I guess with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just funny how you learn to be like that when you're 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where do, you know what I mean? Like that's gotta be new material you're trying out for the first time in your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, and you ask, you say to your, you, as a parent, you start to recognize that when your kids have certain experiences, that the kids that are imposing these experiences on them are getting it from somewhere. Right. So my natural inclination is to say, well, if this kid is calling my son a nigger, his parents have said that in his presence, but that's not necessarily the truth anymore. You know, a lot of times our kids are getting things like, or not our kids, but kids are getting things like that from social media. They're getting things like that from television. Um, And so it's, and they're getting things like that from other kids whose parents talk like that. So it's, it's really hard at this point to, excuse me, determine where a child would learn to say something like that and to hurl it in a way that was intended to hurt someone. So when he said it, the way he said it, I said, Oh, he knew that that was something. That phrasing is like so classic. It's like a classic phrase. (laughs) And I said, well, it it would, you know, you, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say, okay, well he knew that that was something that would hurt you. So then he knew that it was wrong to use it against a person of color. Mm -hmm. So he learned that somewhere, you know, but my son, yeah, like you, he, he would laugh it off and I had to teach him, you know, we don't laugh off things like that. And I think he laughed it off or his laughing it off is a repeating of when I was a kid and I would laugh it off when my white friends would make jokes about race, mm-hmm. you know, and it was almost, I think in my mind, I would say, well, these are the only friends I have. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to piss them off. Yeah. I don't want to correct them because they won't be my friends anymore. But you know, at this point I'm like, I don't need friends like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Let's then you go to high school, I guess. What happens for you in high school that you start gaining different friends? So that that's part of part of the podcast I hit on a lot is changing grades or changing schools mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of changing, I guess, people age differently or whatever. But it always right. seemed to me like in different stages, I would lose friends yeah. um, and people. But they didn't go anywhere. They would still be in the school. Um, but it's just like all of a sudden new grade, new from middle school to high school, elementary school to middle school, whatever. We're not friends anymore. It's a different, you're in a different clique, a different crew that I don't belong to. Um, so you mentioned that you kind of weren't friends with the same people in middle school and got a different group of friends in high school. What happened there? I think it was really like I mentioned, like Alicia had like this big group of friends and Heather was part of that group and Rena was part of that group. And I just wasn't. Um, and it, 
it wasn't, I didn't necessarily feel like we weren't friends anymore. It was just like, this is the direction you're going in and I'm not really part of that group. So, um, and again, a lot of it was that I needed black friends and it wasn't that I was trying to say, I don't, I can't be friends with you guys because you're not black. It was this feeling that I wasn't necessarily connecting to the people I was cool with in school on the level that I should have been. Um, so, I mean, I still, when I would see them around the school, I would still say, Hey, we would still laugh and joke around. But my friend group became different because one, there was something missing. And two, I wasn't necessarily part of their larger circle, which was okay. You know, it wasn't a, like I said, there wasn't, I never felt like they didn't want, they didn't like me anymore, or I didn't like them. It just changed. And I think, you know, part of it could also be summer break. You spent three months out of school, probably not really talking to all those people you were in school with. And so it's, you don't necessarily continue to click with them once you've grown up. And it's crazy how much you grow up in three months. When I was going to say, it's school. like, um, it's like stranger things, uh, <laughs> when they, they came back from summer and they'd all been in different stuff. And the one kid came back from like nerdy, nerdy camp and wanted to yeah. play Dungeons and Dragons. And they're all into, they're all into girls. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, you do change a lot. And I don't necessarily think I recognized that until I became a teacher and I watched my own students do it. You know, I would see them at the end of seventh grade and then they would come back and see me as eighth graders, like the start of eighth grade. And they're taller and some of them have facial hair. And I'm like, what? Like, what happened to you? You're not my little 12 year old baby. Um, so you do. You just grow up a lot. And I think, you know, just not connecting with them over the summer plus again, strict parents. I wasn't able to hang out with anybody. So yeah, I think it just went, you know, ran its course. Yeah. Um, so then who did you start hanging out with in high school? Who, who were those friends? Oh, so. And let me ask you this. Did, did, did it change? How much did it change for you for like, because you mentioned like your parents weren't very trusting. You mentioned Jen Sloss, like you had like a friendship, you were going to people's houses, but uh, how did things change or do, would you consider that things changed enough to consider them like friends like that? The, the definition I use is friends um, yeah. where like they can come over to your house, like in a way that you could interact with them the way friends do. Is that what we're talking about when we say friends in high yes. school? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when I developed new friendships in high school, it was Stephanie Crowder. It was Antoinette Wise. Um, it was Danita Brown and those people were, and I mean, I hang out, I hung out with Coop mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, I became really close to Linnea Huckabee, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, that was my circle and they all looked like me, you know? So, so that meant a lot to me. Um, but those were also kids I went to church with for the most part. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were also, you know, I went to church with them and, uh, Oh, Leah Dempsey. I don't know that many people know Leah Dempsey. She was very quiet. Very quiet. Um, What year was she? Oh, I think she was a year older than me. Okay. Yeah, I I believe she was a year older than we were. 
Uh, but she was she was super quiet. But we had this we had this group called the O Five. So it was like the original five. So it was myself, Antoinette, Danita, Leah, and Stephanie. Um, and after I moved away, the O Five didn't get together again until my baby shower in two thousand eight. Wow. <laughs> that was the last, that was the next time we were all together. Wow. So you're talking about like a good eight years of not seeing each other. But th- that was my, that was my crew. You know, those are the people I would walk to West Ambler with. Uh, those are the people that I would meet up at Rita's. So they used to work at Rita's. Mm. So um, those, are, you know, the, that was my hangout. And like I said, those were kids I went to church with and didn't live too far from. My parents knew their parents already. Um, but, you know, so I think that is really what made my parents kind of loosen the reins. They were like, oh, okay. You know, we know these kids. We know their parents, you know. So, yeah, those are, that was my crew in high school. What uh? What was kind of like your your thing? What would you guys do? Ooh, well, <laughs> it was. <laughs> we honestly would just walk all over Ambler. Like when really, you know, Ambler has changed so much. When we were kids, that's all you could do in Ambler was walk around. Mm-hmm. Literally, you could just walk around. So we did. We would. It was Rita's and. Gosh, now I can't think of the pizza place we used to go to. Candidas. Candidas. Oh my gosh! You're, I did not remember the name of that. Are they still there? No, it's a Jamaican place now. Really? Yeah, and it's oh. it's sad because Candidas was like one of the last places that was still there. That like the newsstand yeah. was like one of the original places from when I grew up there. Um, yeah. that was still there and maybe like five, four years ago, uh, swapped yeah. out. So I haven't been to Ambler in a very, 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 very long time. Oh, I wow. drove through Ambler maybe last, maybe two summers ago. I think I drove through Ambler. Actually, I'm lying. The last time I drove through Ambler was 2016. Oh, wow. Your mind would be, bl- your mind was probably blown then, but your mind would be blown yes. now. Between 2016 and now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very interesting. Now there's, there's a lot Go more ahead. successful things there. Like then they were, like yeah. four years ago, there were things there, but there was some stuff that was still trying to figure it out. Now yeah. some of those places have moved out and some of the smaller places have moved into bigger buildings and okay. really like flushed it out. So I need to make a visit. You know, we don't live too, too far now. We're in Maryland. So... Yeah. Um, I need to go back through. It, it was it was very different driving through there and seeing. You know, we stopped at the Seven Eleven on the corner, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I went to Temple Ambler for maybe two years. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm I'm going to actually drive through Ambler this day because we were already nearby. Um, and I mean, it was. I was like, wow, like, it's just so different. It's not where I lived. And even though I moved a lot, I consider that where I grew up because, Mm -hmm. you know, those are the years you grow up that 11 to, or that I was 10. No, I was 11 at the time. So that 11 to 17. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that happens. 
It happens. <laughs> it does. Um, it's unfortunate. So you would walk around. That's it. That's it. That was it. We would walk around, read us. I mean, you would be surprised. And honestly, when I was <clears throat> the year, excuse me, the years I lived in West Oak Lane, that was kind of my thing too. You know, we walk the city, walk the blocks, and mm. just sit on the stoop. Um, and that was when it was safer to do that. But yeah, I mean, we, I think we all had that church upbringing because we had that church upbringing. There wasn't a whole lot that we were going to risk getting into. Mm. Um, but even though I had my, my, my friendship with, you know, my, my friends and now I consider them family from church, you know, me and Linnea, we used to get high as outer space. <laughs> I mean, that was, but I didn't really kick it with Linnea too much out of school. I think I only really hung out with her a few times out of school. So we would get high in school if we could. Like, uh, we just, <laughs> How do you do it in school? In the stairwell. Really? Yeah, we did. We wow. did a couple of times, like before PE, we wow. did it. And like then, we're talking smoking um, weed? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you, like you light an actual. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. We did. Yeah, we did. And then we, um, gosh, this is terrible. I shouldn't even be telling, saying this out loud, but there was this. Reminding you that we are recording. <laughs> so do you remember Miss Patterson? Hmm? You know, okay. So she's actually the reason I became an English teacher. I loved Miss Patterson's class. I loved her class. But one day, so I had that class with Earl Stout. And I remember, like I said, being super high going to that class one day. And I never really did that. Like, I had never been bold enough to get high and then go to class. But I had my high from PE hadn't worn off. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm in in Miss Patterson's class, high as a kite. And... We had a quiz that day. I don't know uh, why I remember this, but Earl Stout was sitting in the back of the class and I walked in and he could see I was really high. And he was like, why did you do that? <laughs> I just, I remember that. And I looked at him and I just remember like not being able to say anything. Oh my I was God. like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm like super high right now. Um, but it was, it was funny because I, you know, I was always very, I don't know. I think I kind of was looked at like I was maybe a little more demure, maybe a little more quiet and reserved and not the kind of person who would do that. And so I think that was a little bit of his shock. Like, why would you get high before class? Like you, why would you do yeah, that? Yeah, you. Yeah, but. So yeah, that's I mean, funny. I mean, that's the second time you've you've referred yourself as like quiet and reserved. Cause if I'm remembering you, <laughs> Kelly, you were like, at least to me, like my memories of you outside of like chorus were like like at least towards me were like loud and <laughs> rough. Really? Rough. Yeah, you were like like um and that's what's so funny about like like wanting that connection because like I wanted to be like your friend, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to be like friends with you because we had so many things in common, but like outside of chorus, it was like tough sometimes because you were like, you you were like, you were quick. 
you're really, really quick. Yeah. And I know that I'm not one to back down, especially like verbal, um, yeah. which with a girl, it's the safest, right? Cause you know, it's not going to usually get physical. So like yeah. if we're going back and forth and I have kind of freedom to like go back and forth, yeah. you would be like rough. I have a very specific memory of oh, when you so just, gosh. you just killed me. Okay. So, um, once when I was getting my hair cut, my mom had my, the lady cut my hair, do my eyebrows. I don't remember this. And this is when we had like a class in like one of those makeshift classrooms, I think like in the basement when during the construction stuff was going on, Uh but like it like fucked it up or something. And I had like, I had like a, like a thing or I might've, my mom might've even done it herself. It's something yeah. like that. But like, I did like try to do my eyebrows and like, it was like fucked up. <laughs> and for like nine minutes, Kelly, you're just in class talking about this hypothetical story to like Jess Davis or something like I had this friend and this friend <laughs> was trying to get rid of their unibrow <laughs> and they, and they ripped all the skin off their head. And I'm just sitting there like. Oh, my gosh. I do not remember that. And that is my best example of you, Kelly, in high school. (laughs) (laughs) You're just telling this story. And I'm just thinking, like, does she really have this friend? She doesn't have this friend, right? She's fucking with me right she's totally fucking with me right she does not have this friend this doesn't exist and it's a shame you don't remember it because to this day i don't know if you were fucking because i couldn't believe that you were fucking with me that hard like no one said anything all day about it oh my gosh i don't remember you, that but you know what i probably was fucking with you <laughs> but at the same time in that chorus class there used to be smells in that chorus room And we used to ride on the smells Mm -hmm. in the chorus room all day long. And so, you know, turn about fair game. We used to get on other people about that stuff. And so. (laughs) I cannot, I mean, I'm not going to say I can't believe I did that. I can believe it. (laughs) There are, um, I am very multifaceted. I've learned as I've gotten older, like there are times when, um, and it actually surprises me because I can be boisterous. I am very quick. I And that's not something I see in myself. People tell me that all the time. They're like, you're very quick with it. I don't know where, how your timing is just, yeah. Yeah. it's insane. But there are times when I am so full of anxiety about talking to people that I will shut down completely and say nothing. Really? I had, I almost had a complete breakdown when um, I, so like quick story, as an educator, I really love technology. I really love to integrate technology into my classroom. And I um, had come up with this tool to help my students in class. And it was essentially, I created a Google form to help them excuse me, to an- help them analyze their their data about their performance in class okay. um, and about our performance as a whole. So I, sh- I was asked to share this 
my principal thought it was like a great thing. So she's like, I want you to share this at our next, she called it whole group, at our next whole group. So whole group is all the teachers, all grade levels in the school in one oh. meeting. So she said, Big so audience. she calls me up and I stand there and I like, I freeze and I'm just like, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, just tell everybody about what you did. And I couldn't do it. And I, I spend every staff meeting like that. Uh, mm. If I go to dinner with friends, I spend dinner like that. I don't know if it's just a comfort thing. Um, but in certain environments, I am very quiet and very withdrawn. And there are certain people I'm comfortable enough with that I won't do that. But most people I'm very uncomfortable with the going back and forth and laughing, joking around. I will just, I mean, even in that, even in that class, there were a couple girls, I'm not going to name them, but there were a couple girls in that class who made me feel like that. Like I would just shut down when it came to them. So I would have never expected that. Yeah, I think there's like, they're just two sides to me. I mean, if you look at my friend list on Facebook, I have like 400 friends because I don't like to express my self. The I don't like to express my true self to everybody, and that I don't think is about not being genuine. I just have this real fear of being judged by people, mm. and I don't know where I get that from, but I just have this. And and the people that I am closest with are the people I am most myself with. And myself is that person that you experience. <laughs> the I have this friend. <laughs> that's me. I have memories of just like, that's the most, that's the only specific one, but I just have memories of, and it's funny that you start off with Martin because I do feel like it was a Martin Pam relationship between you and I where it just like all the is like oh my god I would sometimes just like dread like oh she's gonna fucking kill me today because I was not I didn't have like any type of I don't I still probably don't I just wear a lot of like red and shit but like I never had a lot of like style especially then like I used to wear like tight jeans and like just whatever clothes I had from like ninth grade I probably still wore in 11th grade like I just mm. didn't have any style in that way you know <laughs> so yeah I would just dread I knew if something was off you would probably catch it <laughs> <laughs> that is probably very true like I I trust people's perceptions of me because again I am true that part of myself is who I think you are supposed to have does that mm. make sense yep like that that's you know so when I'm you know I, out you know out here they call it joning you know how they say it in Maryland so when I, if, if I was going back and forth with you like that, that is an indicator that I was probably extremely comfortable with you, yeah. but it's, but there are people that I remember from high school that to this day, if I run into them, I will say nothing. And mm. at this point, it's not necessarily about uh, the judgment for them. It's just like, you know, yeah, I just, and it might be, it might still be the judgment thing. I don't know. Did you have conflict like in high school? 
problems, uh, issues? I, I think I did like early in high school. Um, there was actually it was with I don't even I really don't want to say her name, but it's fine. Uh, um, it was with Jen Sloss and there was a girl that went to high school with us, Danielle Pitcher. Yeah. You remember her? Yeah. Okay. So they thought that I liked Dewan and Danielle was dating Dewan. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a, yeah, that was ninth grade. Um, and so that was, uh, that was like a big falling out. And I was like, well, I really don't like him, but you know, it was, and I mean, I liked it. We were friends. Um, I was friends with Dewan and Steve Newman and, you know, we were cool. Uh, but it wasn't a thing between Dewan and I. So it was, um, yeah. So that was unfortunate. That was a falling out that we had, but outside of that, I don't really recall. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't really recall having big falling outs or big conflicts with people that one was probably the worst and it was really long lasting like really? it just went on it seemed to go on forever and it was what is that? sad because huh well what is that like like when you say it goes on like for me as a guy if i have a problem with someone it probably means that like we're getting fist fights yeah. or shoving matches or i'm in fear of fights daily yeah. or like stuff like that would be like what what i would go through for a girl what is you know what does that mean um, so I don't necessarily think it was a physical thing. Um, I wasn't concerned about a fight. There was, it, it was just like, because Jen and I were friends and I was also, you know, kind of friends with Danielle, you know, pitcher, by the way, not Cataldi, pitcher. Yep. I mean, I was cool with Danielle Cataldi too, but she wasn't part of the conflict. Um, I think because I was such good friends with Jen that that's why it seemed like it was lingering. So it was like every day not talking to my friend made it feel like mm -hmm. it was going on and on and on again. It, there, it wasn't a, this conflict happened this day and now we're no longer friends. It was a, you know, there was a period of time when I thought we were all still cool, but everybody was ignoring me and I couldn't figure out, you know, why I'm like, what's going on? You know, what happened? Um, and then it was, and then I found out. So you're talking about like months of us not talking and so for you, down. yeah, like the issue of like when you're dealing with like a problem, it's having friends who are now no longer talking to you. You're, you're like dealing with silence and you're walking in, you're trying to have these, mm -hmm. what has been your norm through the, through a high school day. Cause we got periods, right? And so yeah. when you're, when you come in in the morning, you usually meet up with these people when mm -hmm. you have free, you know, when you're going to lunch, you usually meet up with these people or when you're passing through going to lockers or whatever, you meet up at certain periods, you'd be doing that all year. So for yeah. you, whereas I was worried about like fights or whatever, you're more so dealing with like, probably more mental of right. why aren't my friends talking to me? What's yes. going on? Yeah. It was the anguish yeah. like this. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, I think that's a, that may very well be a female thing because my daughter at seven 
will have little spats with her girlfriends. And then when she goes to school the next day, or she'll, she'll be worried about it that day at, at the end of the school day. She's like, well, my friends were really upset today and we got into an argument and we weren't talking. And then the next day when she goes to school, she'll tell me about it. Well, I, I don't know what to do if my friends aren't going to talk to me today. So it's just this, it was the social aspect, like not having my friends to kick it with and talk to and confide in. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, eventually that goes on so long that you just like, okay, well, whatever, it's not going to be repaired. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. Um, and on the heels of that, I was, or not on the heels of that, but I was still during all of that, still looking for friends to connect with people like me, you know? And so those friendships happen and it kind of got to the point where I just wasn't interested in repairing anything anymore. It wasn't like, you know, I don't want to be your friend. It was just like, well, this is not going to work. So, you know? Yeah. That's, I feel like that's kind of how I, uh, when I was younger, maybe even now, uh, treat friendships. Like I would always, and maybe that's why, um, not why, maybe what you said, like it's a, it's a, a girl thing. I don't think so. I think I probably had that too. Yeah. And probably just didn't internalize, didn't realize it, didn't know it. But I can remember times when like friendships would change and I'd be like, Oh, but I think, I don't think I, I think I would anguish or I would, I would wonder but I think my go-to would be fuck that guy. Fuck that yeah. guy. We're not friends anymore. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to stop yeah. being your friend because I think you're avoiding me. You're ignoring me. So, uh, Oh, you're going to be friends with, you're going to be friends with that guy now. Oh, yeah. fuck that. Fuck you then. I'm, I'm not going to even talk to you now. We can't, we can't be, you know what I mean? Like I would yeah. jump the gun and, and try to eliminate the, the mental anguish. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have so many anxieties that now looking back at high school, I think to myself, like, if I wonder if I hadn't been so anxious about things in high school, if relationships for me could be different now. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could, you know, I might still be friends with those people. Some of it might have just been my own anxieties. And instead of approaching people, because I didn't want to have conflict. So instead of approaching people and saying, hey, let's... um can we talk about this? I would just say, you know, no, she's going to be mad at me. Ooh, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just going to wait until she gets over it. And so because of that anxiety, I would ignore, not ignore, but just kind of wait, try to wait things out. Mm. Um, and then they would just dis, <laughs> disseminate, disseminate, dis, no, it's disseminate. Dissipate. 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 Jesus. That's why y'all should read. Okay. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. It is fundamental. <laughs> uh, did you date in high school? Um, hmm. I actually did not date anybody we went to high school with. Hmm. I dated. Um, I dated outside of our high school. Okay. Um, and now that I think about it. I don't even remember what high school he went to. <laughs> what high school did he go to? I don't remember. How do you meet people um, outside of the school district? Visiting my family in Philly. Oh. Yep, visiting my family in Philly. Um, I got to really know a lot of people in the neighborhood. Um, there was a guy that I dated who lived across the street from my grandmother, and I didn't 
I wouldn't even say I dated him. We were really just talking, you know, we were, we knew each other our pretty much our entire lives because I knew him when I was a little, little kid living okay. on Andrews Avenue. Um, and, you know, he's, he was always like, he was always the freshest kid on the block. As much as I love sneakers, you know, and I think that that's how I knew at the time I had a sneaker fetish oh. because he had the freshest footwear on the block. And so, and he always had a fresh haircut. So, you know, he was, he was super dope to me. Um, so yeah, we talked when I was in high school, but not really anything serious. And I really didn't have boyfriends in high school. There were always guys who would guys who went to high school with us who would tell me later, like, Oh, I had a crush on you last year. And I'm like, well, what good is that doing me now? Like, thank you for telling me now. Um, but I had a couple boyfriends in middle school, but not high school. High school was, you know, I was super awkward. I was really awkward in high school, I think, anyway. See, that's a great example of how you just don't really know somebody because that's not something I would ever, that's not a word I would ever use to describe you. Um, really? I yeah. felt so weird. I felt like a weirdo. No, I thought, so like, I would have thought that you were like, just in on like the cool black, like, like cool black kid crowd. Like, you know, how there's black Twitter. There's like black cool crowd, yeah. cool crowd. And then black, cool, black, cool crowd. I would have thought you would have been in on like black, cool crowd. You, uh, just Davis. Oh, Yanka, Davis. she like, is hilarious. Yo. Like yeah. that would have been my, um, yeah. that would have been my perception and like partying and you know what I mean? Just kidding. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> all the cool, all the cool black kids just, you know, really, you know, it's like I said, I have to trust other people's perception of me because my that's not true. No, but, but that's what I'm saying. That's not true. But you're saying that's not, that's not all where your life is. So that's, that's true. You know, at a time for me, like it's almost like a sadness that yeah. I didn't, that I wasn't open-minded enough or brave enough to yeah. pursue a friendship harder to get to know you to to ask yeah. what you're you know what you're you know I always think I and I do this today I do this especially with girls in that I like I imagine I look at them I get a, a general stereotype in my head of what I think their life is and if yeah. that's over intimidating to me then yeah. it's then I don't I generally don't approach or I don't engage. Really? And so for me, if like, I feel like you're in, you know, you're in black cool kid crew. Yeah. <laughs> that's too intimidating for me in the same way that, you know, hanging out in cool kid crew would be mm. intimidating. Um, and so I don't engage in that way, but we would have had the best time hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because we, Honestly, I think we were next level, and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but beep beep. I think we were next level funny. Yes. For our age, for our age, nobody could touch us in roasting. Yes. We would have been untouchable. I think we could have been next level funny. We would have been like, yeah, don't fuck with them because they're going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> Kelly, everything that we joke about is like what is my preferred brand of humor 
Yeah. Uh, everything I try to create. <clears throat> yeah. All of my nostalgia favorites. You know, when I, I don't know if, I, I can't remember if you're on Instagram or not, but. Um, I am. I have these times when I take breaks from social media and I just kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you guys get to see my quiet side. But uh, there are times when it's just too much noise, but I do have IG and I go on sometimes. I'll do like these runs on Instagram where I'm, I'm dropping like songs, throwback oh. jams and stuff. And like a lot of times, like there's songs from like our era you know, yeah. but like a lot of, a lot of that nostalgia stuff is, and, and my brand of humor and the things that I like to talk about is from the stuff that we used to joke about mm-hmm. a lot of times. That's like my favorite era of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I think about, when I think about our era, I think about 112. I think, I mean, I honestly, I can in my head, in, in my head, I can like add a soundtrack to our memories. Definitely life after death is on there. Definitely P- puffy's no way out. Like a lot of bad boy, a lot yep. of bad boy is Lil in Kim, yes. Foxy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I haven't heard. I got to listen to some Foxy today, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of bad Mace. boy. Now, Mace, we used to really do Mace. Remember? No, it wasn't you. Do you re- Yes. You, were you in class when, with Francesco? No. Okay. Oh, maybe, but I don't know what this I is. Was, okay, so I was in, now this might have been middle school, but I was in class with Francesco Santo, and we did, and he played, we did a song. We had to perform a song. And I think this was before our music teacher went away on maternity leave so maybe this was high school but francesco santo played biggie he was biggie smalls he was big papa and what song did we perform more money more problems i think that's exactly what it was so um let's see that would have been 97 yeah yeah. Yes. So yeah, we were in, we were definitely in high school then, and yeah. we performed that song, and it was myself and Ebony, and I can't remember Ebony's last name. Was it Watson? White? Watson. What? Was it Watson? Ebony. I don't. I don't. I don't remember. I just remember one of us was dancing, and we we were the dancers, <laughs> and Francesco was notorious Big. He was rapping. We were dancing, and one of us drop down and our pants split and so that was that was there for the performance. I don't remember who it was. I thought I think it was Ebony though, but yeah. Yeah. Ebony, I mean, White? And I, Ebony White sounds right. Yeah, I think it was Ebony White, but it was it's just such a that mem those that class, I don't know why I remember more of that class than any other. And it has to be the, the fun we were having and the comedy music. and the, and all the music, it had to be the music because we were allowed to really explore the music that was important to us at that time. And that music is really the soundtrack for our growing up. Mm. Like bad boy has got us covered for our what about, uh, Drew Hill. Oh, Yes. Tell me what you want. I remember that. What yes. about what about something for the people? 
I forgot about something for the right? people. Yippee ki yay, yippee ki yay, one up up your body, <laughs> baby. baby. All over your body, one up up your oh, body. Thank you, stop. Oh my God. You know, there are times when I, I just like my memories play in just these flashes and I don't have full memories of a lot of things. And I, I don't know if that's because of all the weed or if because I had so many, I mean, I've traveled so much since high school and I've, I've, I've got so many other memories um, that I think I lost a few along the way, but yeah. man, yeah, um, I can't believe I cannot believe we really should have been friends in high school. Yes, we were living, you know, same lives in our own houses. Yes, <laughs> at least yeah. from a at least from a you know a cultural music and TV show standpoint. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I also have a very white side too. So, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I instead of too. listening to something, you know, 20 times in a row, I listen to it for 10 and then the other 10, I'm listening to like Lisa Loeb and. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is a very, why would you pick that? That's a very white. <laughs> yeah. I love oh that song, Say. You say, stay, right? You say, only hear what I want to. Remember that song? Actually, though, that song slaps. Yeah, that I song's think. fire. That song's song, fire. I love that. How about uh, John B? Oh. I think that's when he came back with another, so that's when he came back with They Don't Know. Right? That, yes. Right? Yes, that was what. Yeah, because I think he he was more popular when we were much younger. He had the song with Babyface. He did. Mm-hmm. That was his first song, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, wasn't yeah. that his first his yep. um, first single? But then he came back with like then he came back with like the Caesar cut. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's when he. Uh, that's when he switched cultures. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he realized yeah, the thing. That's when he wrote the blueprint for Robin Thicke. Yes. <laughs> You know, I, as, so I look back at that music or I look at our white artists and there are people that, I don't, I don't want to say our white artists, but I look at white artists who make, um, you know, hip hop and R&B and soul. And I, sometimes I wonder if that's really the music that they love do, making. Mm. And, and other times I wonder if they're really just pandering to black folks, you know? Mm. And for me, it's really hard to tell because I enjoy the music so much, right? There's like a little bit of a conflict there. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I don't know, you know? Um, <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Yeah, what was that? Temple made. Oh, I see it. Okay, so I have to ask you. Yeah. Or, you know, we all went to school. We all went to Temple together. Um, And this is not necessarily a question, but, you know, I have to say there are days when Keyshawn's death still really hurt my feelings. Hurt your feelings? Well, I mean, I'm still sad about it. Like, there are days when, because I was in Anderson Hall. Uh, I was in, I was, I was, I had class and I remember leaving class that day. I'd learned that he'd passed, but like every time I think about Temple, that memory is there for me. 
Really? Yeah, it's still very, very real to me because I remember coming, I saw the sign, like they put a sign on the door, the dorm. I lived in Amber at the time. They put a sign on the dorm window and that, um, and I was like, not Keyshawn that from Winston Hicken, you know, like not him. And then um, I saw when I got, I came out of the building at Anderson and I saw like the memorial there for him. And I honestly cannot have a temple memory without it being interrupted by that. And wow. I don't say interrupted in a bad way. I mean, I mean, his, his passing was really bad, but um, you know, it does, it like jumps at me often. Did you have a relationship with him in high school? Um, I knew him and I felt, I didn't know him as well as others did clearly, but I remember always looking at him and being, and, and saying, cause you know, he was Gothic and I remember yeah. looking at him and thinking to myself that I felt awkward and, and I almost thought that he felt awkward too. Like maybe high school was also an awkward experience for him. I always wanted to talk to him because I felt like we would have had a connection or we would have had a lot of similarities um, or we would have shared some things in common, but yeah, it does. It still bothers me. So I, I said that because I have a bunch of temple wear and I can't wear it too frequently because it's like, Wow. It's, yeah, it really bothers me. And his it when when I found out it was when it was real for me, then it was like wow, like this is crazy. I mean, I have great memories that temple, but not one of them is not interrupted by his passing. By Keyshawn. Yeah. Um I had class uh there I had a poetry class there mm -hmm. um I, I had a I, I'm I'm wired a little bit differently uh it takes mm -hmm. me some time sometimes to feel different stuff so for me it was it was I guess I'm not I don't, I'm not as taken to it as much yeah I think about it um but I didn't really know uh Keyshawn yeah in any you know in a I guess a strong way yeah. um so it's, but it's definitely something that when I got class there is the first thing I thought of, mm -hmm. uh, where I was like, Oh my God, it was on the floor. And I was oh. like, Whoa, uh, this is weird. And, yeah. um, yeah, I think I, when I think about those buildings, cause I, I just hated those buildings, the buildings for yeah. people that we don't know, we don't know what we're talking about. Um, Anderson hall and Gladfelter hall, which are across from each other at Temple's campus yeah. are these really old, tall buildings. They have these horrible elevators and um, I wish they would just start over with them. But that's probably my, the only, the, probably the biggest thought I have of, of that area is mm -hmm. Keyshawn. Yeah. Um, I think of Keyshawn, then I think of the bad elevators and I think of uh, this blonde yeah. girl I had poetry with. So, yeah. <laughs> I so I spent a lot of time in that building and that might be it too because I majored in English. Mm -hmm. Um I majored in English and African and I minored in African American studies. Really? Yeah, yeah. So Did when you I know? say I was longing for this connection with my own with people who look like me, it was really a journey. 
Was Mrs. Patterson your favorite teacher in high school? So I had two favorite teachers in high school. My favorite female teacher, well, I, I would say I had three, even though one was very mean to me, but I still liked him. So Miss Patterson was definitely my favorite. If I had to pick one, it would have been her for sure. Um, again, like I said, she's the reason I became an English teacher because mm -hmm. she taught me content that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I always loved reading, yeah. but there were things that I would never have wanted to read or never found interesting. Like I would never have been into Poe without her. Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. I, I would never have been into something like that without her. And so, um, I credit my desire to educate others to her for sure. 100%. Um, and also I think she saw in me more than I saw in myself. And that was important to me as a kid because I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily surrounded by people that I thought believed in me or saw anything of value in me. So for her to do that when I was, you know, 17 years old and probably most vulnerable because I was still kind of searching for myself and trying to find something good or beautiful about myself. Uh, that was, that was amazing. It was yeah. incredible. So she knew exactly what to say to me. Right. And I know that day I went in her class, she knew I was high. She had to, she had to, my eyes were, my eyes looked like Louboutins. <laughs> 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 they were I mean it's it's not possible that she didn't and she was a mother you know moms know everything moms know right they know everything um she had a major impact on who I became and she had a major impact on my thirst for knowledge you know like mm. when I was in high school school was just school um but she actually made me want to know more and I think it had a lot, it had a lot to do with her making content that she would otherwise have been very boring to me, more interesting. Mm -hmm. And so then I kind of said, well, hey, if this is, if this can be interesting, maybe some of these other things that I really don't care about can be interesting too. Um, Mr. Cairns, one of my favorite uh, male teachers. I was going to say Mr. Cairns, I felt like had that effect of making things interesting for me. Uh -huh. We might have had Karens together. Yes, I think we did. I hated political science, but Mr. Karens made it interesting for yeah. me. Um, even though I barely passed, I think I got a C in his class. I'm pretty sure I got a C, but Mr. Karens, he was a cool dude too. He was pretty like, I don't know. I don't want to say with it, but you he was know, young. He, he was like 24. Relevant. He was brand yeah. new. He was yeah. one of those like young teachers that came in. There was something that happened, like I think around 10th grade, like a lot of the older teachers who had been there for 20 some years or whatever mm -hmm. took buyouts. So like, yeah. do you remember like Mr. Russo, the, yeah. the like those guys left and yeah. a lot of newer, younger teachers came in. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Chaplin and Mrs. Palmer and Mr. Cairns and Mr. Malone and yeah. other guys that'll go unmentioned, but like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so, so like, it was like, we had this 24 year old kid 
When I think of myself yeah. at 24, my God, this 24 year old teaching us about the government, you know, he, and he had a sense of humor and I used to call him by yes. his first name. I used to call him Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gallagher. Mr. Gallagher, science teacher. Mario. Yeah. With the beard. Yeah. And the, the comb over. Yeah. He kind of looks and like this scary guy in home alone. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I really think I really thought when I was in his class, I really thought he hated me, but I loved that dude. Hmm. I did. I really liked his class. I was never really good at science, but you know, biology seemed to be the one science that I enjoyed. And I know he couldn't stand me because he used to fuss at me all the time. But then I would have these little side conversations with him when he was, and he would be really nice. Huh. And I'll say, well, Hey, how's it going? You know? And he would, we would have like a little back and forth about how things were going in our personal lives. And, you know, when teachers talk about their personal lives, they don't yeah. really tell you their personal life. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was cool. I liked him. I really did. So Mr. Gallagher's Mr. Gallagher, Mr. Cairns, but definitely Miss Patterson, man. She's, she's educator gold. Was English your favorite class? It, more than, yeah, it was. It definitely was. I mean, I liked English because I really enjoyed reading. Um, and I didn't consider myself a really decent writer, but I enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. um, I still don't necessarily consider myself a great writer, but I like writing. I do, I do like words and, um, I love to express myself through writing and that's not necessarily poetry. Mm. Um, I could see myself eventually writing a book about education or um, writing a book about how to, you know, uh, how to better educate poor kids or how to level the playing field when it comes to the achievement gap. You know, I, I could mm. see myself doing yeah. something like that. I do enjoy that kind of writing. Um, as you were going through school, um, did you, I mean, you said that you kind of wanted to be a, an English teacher, Mrs. Patterson. Was that kind of the goal the whole way through high school or as you were kind of formulating, was there anything else that you thought maybe something that you wanted to be or wanted to do? Did you have any other direction? I wanted to be an attorney also. Ah. Um, but... I was very easily intimidated by uh, aspirations that I thought were too great for me. Huh. And I did have in my mind that there were, th I mean, even as an, even as an adult, there are times when I say, Oh, like that's not something I can achieve or, you know, that's up here and I'm right here, you know? So um, I, I think that my own self-doubt really stopped me from pursuing law. Hmm. Yeah, but I did. I wanted to be an attorney, but I felt what like... What kind? I, um, so I wanted to do either criminal or I wanted to deal in matters of social injustice. Um, when the Innocence Project was started, you know... Well, when I learned about the Innocence Project years later, I thought to myself, gosh, like that's exactly the kind of law I would have practiced, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I wanted to do 
I really wanted to be an attorney because I always had this thing in my mind. I always had this meter that would tell me to stand firm in what is right. And so I thought law would be the best way to exercise that, you know, like, no, this is right. And we're going to stand here and argue until you see that this is right. <laughs> um, That's how I like to do but, things too. Yes. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people walk away from me now. <laughs> I got to go, dude. I can't. It's been 45 minutes. I can't do this with you anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? You'd be surprised at how easily I could take that same passion and move it to the classroom. Mm. I was, you know, because I think education is supposed to be the great equalizer. And we know that that's not necessarily true because you could have an incredible education, but still be the wrong color and come from the wrong background and not be able to achieve the same level of success. It's not a secret that America systematically denies people of color access to uh, success and, you know, um, wealth. Mm -hmm. But I think in the classroom, the right educator has the opportunity to give equity to students who need it and to kind of level, like I said, level the playing field for kids who are poor or like I have a good number of kids right now whose parents are incarcerated and they're, they don't think that they don't, they think that success for them is if they don't get locked up, which, you know, that's, that is some form of success. If you're surrounded by people who are in and out of prison and you're able to avoid it, that is some measure of success. But I want them to shoot higher and I want them to be able to see that they're capable of more. So um, it's about, you know, I think I went into the classroom because I wanted to change and middle school, especially because I teach middle school and that's very challenging. <laughs> um, but I think I decided to teach middle school because I think that's the age where I can really teach them that they are capable of greater. And part of it's also sub. I think, a little subconscious, you know, maybe I just said, you know, I want to encourage these kids because I didn't see that I was able to achieve greater. So I want to teach them that they are, or I want to encourage them to believe that they are. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, I think there's a lot of social justice that I deal with in the classroom, um, or social injustices I deal with in the classroom that I'm trying to squash. And I want to I don't want to call it imposing, but I want to um, pour into my kids a greater belief in themselves. Well, you know, it's, I'd say it's funny and, you know, we're kind of seeing it now, but it's, it's just funny how like, you know, you say you didn't want to put yourself kind of out there, you know, or you, you kind of like shy away from, from things that maybe seem outside of your, your capabilities. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think there's, many jobs that are more difficult or less or more thankless than being a teacher. So yeah. that's a pretty brave profession to, oh, to get into. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, um, without knowing it, I think, you know, it's probably a less, um, it's a less focused on as an individual, right? When you're a lawyer, it's, did you win or lose the case? Uh, yeah. but you're a teacher and, and your success is based off of 
20 some odd other kids or more depending on what your style of teaching is and whatever. But, um, so your success is, is almost elongated for what grade do you know? What grade do you teach? Eighth grade this year, eighth grade. So for four more years to really see what kind of path those, those kids take. But I think, um, just as hard as being some sort of a, a defense attorney, uh, to yeah. get, you know, to try and defend people who haven't, who don't have the, a proper defense mm-hmm. setting kids up in the future. So they don't end up in a courtroom. It's equally yeah. as important. Yeah. yeah. I, Especially I, when you look at just, you know, today's world, what's going on right now with parents having to self teach and freaking out the need for, for teachers to stay plugged in with, with kids yeah. and, um, you know, you, yeah. all of a sudden we took the teachers away and everyone's having a meltdown. So right. we're seeing how Open important being a teacher. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing how important, you know, a teaching really, really is. Yeah. It school is, I know that kids, especially at this age or, you know, the middle, those middle years, they hate school and they don't want to come. Um, but I can't tell you the number of kids who are messaging me. I have an education app on my phone called Edmodo. They're messaging me. I miss you, Miss Rosario. I miss you. I want. I wish we were in class. What are you doing today? You know, and I'm like, you guys, I'm the old lady in your life. You don't want to know what I'm doing today. I'm still in my bonnet and I'm eating popcorn <laughs> for breakfast. <laughs> I Listen to Al Green. <laughs> I'm slipping around in the kitchen in my socks. Right. I'm boiling fabuloso on my stove. Like you don't want to know what I'm doing, mm. but, uh, this has shown us, um, it, it, if it hasn't shown the nation, it's definitely shown me and shown some parents how important teachers are, not just to educating students, but to forming the whole child. Like these kids, they see their teachers as an important adult in their lives and oftentimes measure, you know, you know, kind of pair them up next to their parent. Like I need you, like I need my mom or my dad, you know, they recognize that we're not their parents, but they have this feeling that they need us. We, our County closed down and for two weeks there was no education absolutely no education whatsoever. We were doing nothing for students between March 13th and March 27th. Wow. There was nothing happening. Um, and when we finally moved forward into virtual school, the number of kids who started emailing me and said, Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I get to see you, get to see you again. And at that point it wasn't even seeing them. It was just, Emails. you're in this, you're on Blackboard, you know? Oh, okay. Um, well, they use a different platform, but it's very similar to Blackboard. And so they weren't really even seeing us at that point, but they were just longing for hearing from me. Mm-hmm. And so actually Tuesday, as long as we've been out of school, Tuesday was the first time they got to see me face to face. Wow. And I have 103 students and most of them were those who had access to computers were online ready to see me. Mm -hmm. And that's major. So they miss us. And, um, I mean, I'm enjoying being at home. Day drinking. 
<laughs> Same. <laughs> having mimosas with breakfast and, uh, you know, you know, uh, I, I do, I, I am enjoying that, but I miss my students. I know that they need to be with me and I worry about them. You know, some of them are privileged and some of them aren't, you know, so I have students who aren't eating during the day if they don't get to the school and get a free lunch. Um, and that, that's a lot to have to, that's a weight that I bear, even though I can't physically do anything about it, it is a weight that I bear emotionally. Sure. Especially, you know, we were already in the second half of the year and you've come to care for these kids, these specific group of kids, you know, since Mm -hmm. September. Um, And so, you know, March, end of March comes, you're two months away from ending. So Mm -hmm. to have that connection the whole way and then Yes. To drop off for the last two months and, and, you know, knowing everyone's routine, knowing, you know, students' yeah. home situations, know, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing everything. And now you're just completely unable to connect with them. That's got to be tough. Yeah, it was a night. It was a it was a real nightmare. And at first, you know, everybody feels that way. That first week off, you're like, yes, a week off. You know, we all felt like that because as educators, we do need a break. I don't ever stop working. As soon as I, school ends at two o'clock, I spend my lunch with my students continuing. I reteach. I, uh, I spend after from two o'clock to three 30, I'm working with students. You know, mm-hmm. I built a website for them. They text me, not my phone number, but <laughs> they text me through like our little education apps. Um, I am constantly connected to them and that's when they're able to see me. So if they need me that much when they're, when they see me, imagine how much they need me when they're not seeing me. So it's been nice to be able to get online and talk to them, um, today and on Tuesday, we have to do Tuesdays and Thursdays. Seeing them online has been really nice. And, you know, at the very least, even if they don't care about anything I'm teaching them right now, I know that they're okay. Right. That's, that's, I'm like, Hey, you here, let's, let's start with that. So, but it's, it's cool. I mean, I do enjoy educating. I started teaching in Japan and that's, that was, Oh yeah. I want to know, God, this is going to be, this is going to be a two parter. (laughs) I have so many questions. Japan's amazing. Wait, wait, let me, let me go back to, uh, let me just go back to the end of high school. Okay. You left at at 11th, after 11th grade, you left for your senior year. Where did you go? Poconos. I went to, I went to Pocono Mountain Senior High School. Okay. And that was because your dad got restationed? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We were living in a place called Toby Hanna, which is very appropriate for the Pocomos. (laughs) I was working at a resort called Pocono Manor Ski Resort. It was a ski and golf resort. Actually burned down recently. Um, But Pocono Manor was a very old 100-plus-year-old place, very reminiscent of The Shining. Um, but I did enjoy, yeah, yeah. Um, but the Poconos was, you're, I mean, there's nothing there. There's nature. A few times came home, couldn't get off the school bus because there was a black bear in front of the garage or something like that. But, you know, for the most part, that was, I mean, that was our excitement. There is literally nothing in the Poconos. Let me ask you this, just 
and I, I'm sure I know the answer just because what how you've kind of described your your family, but was there ever any thought you had one year left to the Poconos isn't very far from mm-hmm. the suburbs of Philadelphia. Was there ever any thought to letting you stay in the area um, to finish out the year, finish out your final no. year? No, no. Um, I didn't know, or we didn't know anybody. That's not true. We knew people, but my parents didn't, have a relation a strong enough relationship with anybody that we knew in Ambler that I could stay with Mm -hmm. so I would have ended up living in Philadelphia and leaving going to another school anyway right so um you know and it was it would have just been too much hassle but it was that was a tough move that was a really tough move yeah I can imagine um what's the makeup of Pocono high you would be surprised at the number of black folks live out there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of New Yorkers. Oh. A lot of New Yorkers. But Pocono Mountain School District is very large. We had two campuses. So there was Pocono Mountain East and Pocono Mountain West. And then there was a Pocono Mountain junior high school and a Pocono Mountain senior high school on the East campus. So, I mean, but like I said, a lot of New Yorkers, there were more people there from New York probably than anywhere else. Yeah. So what was your transition for college? Like, was it always Temple? Is that where you wanted to go? Did you apply to other schools, look at other schools? I did. So I applied to Princeton, Howard, University of Maryland and Temple. Um, now this is going this is gonna sound crazy because when I tell people this, they're like, "What? Like it's such a good school." Temple was my last resort. It was I like can see that. Wait, say again. Howard, Delaware. Oh no, uh, Maryland um, is Howard, Maryland, and Princeton. And Princeton. No, I could see why Temple would be your last resort. Those are yeah. very prestigious uh, schools. Maryland is a state school, but it's probably a little bit more prestigious than, than Temple and yeah. Howard is the HBCU and uh, Princeton yeah. is Ivy. So yes. Yeah. So, and I, I <laughs> Princeton, I think I always knew I was not going to go. I just needed to prove to myself that I was good enough to go. Um, and for the sake of my self-esteem, my parents paid for the application. <laughs> Um, and I was accepted. What? Yes, but I did not get any financial aid whatsoever. Like, none. So, I applied to Howard. I was accepted. Um, they just broke, you know, the financial aid package came, and they were like, yeah, it's about $26,000 a year in loans. And I was like, yeah, nope, I'm not paying over $100,000 for my bachelor's. Yeah. Um, And so then it was based on, you know, our finances at the time, because keep you know, the time I was going to college, I didn't want a lot of loans. My parents were going to pay for some of my education, but my parents were also still raising my brother who was in still middle school or yeah, he was in eighth grade. Um, and my little sister. So first generation college student, I was thinking about my parents' finances, of course. And so University of Maryland, I got in and I got into Temple. And the Maryland, obviously out of state tuition, 
was much higher than Temple mm-hmm. with the in-state tuition. And the crazy thing is my Temple tuition was so low. Like I look at how much it costs to go to Temple now and I'm like, gosh, that that 5% increase every year looks more like 30 because wow. it's crazy. It's it's insane. But I mean, I think without room and board, it was like five or six, maybe, maybe $7,000 a year before room and board. For, yeah. for me to go to Temple when I went. So clearly I'm pretty old. Um, but it was, I mean, and then I, it wasn't like Temple wasn't a good school. It was just like, okay, I knew that academically I could qualify for Temple. Um, I knew the area, you know, from growing up in Philadelphia. And it was just like, oh, I know I can go to this school, but can I do these other things? So I went with Temple. It was more affordable and um, it was an excellent decision because Temple is an incredible school. It's great. Yeah, it's a great school. So. Yeah, so yeah. I ran into you a couple times on campus. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I outside of like the outside of like the library or something. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in there. Yeah. <laughs> But I never, like, I never hung out with you, never, like, really, like, never talked to you, and I think, yeah. uh, uh, and then I kind of lost track of you, and then, so part of the reason why I had to do this podcast, I did this podcast with you, like, right now today, and I was like, yeah. let's do this podcast, is because, so, here's a story with wanting to do this podcast with you. <laughs> when this idea came up, like, over a year ago, mm-hmm you know, you look at all the people that are around and you're like, okay, this, this, this can be done. And then you start thinking about, well, there's a lot of people that don't live anywhere near here. Yeah. And then you start looking like, I look at like, you know, Andy Marshall lives out in like uh, Rocky mountain area, like Wyoming or, or something like that. My wow. um, Wyoming or Montana, one of the two, I think. And you know, other people live in California and down in yeah. Florida. So my dream, if you've listened to the podcast, Mm -hmm. I've talked about this a few times. My dream trip is Japan. Let's go. So literally last year, I'm telling people, I'm like, they're like, what are you going to do for people that don't live anywhere near here? I go, yeah, I'm going to Japan. I'm staying with Kelly and we're doing the pod there. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell you that, but that was in my head what was going to happen. And then you moved back. (laughs) You moved back. Listen, I have roots there. So when you're ready to go, my, my daughter, she only went to Japanese school. My, my, my family loves Japan. When you're ready to go, we'll go. I love Japan and you will absolutely love it. The drunk culture there is crazy. I've been wanting to go my whole, I've got a Ribera Steakhouse uh, t-shirt upstairs in my room. Do you know about Ribera Steakhouse? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I got the bowl and the whole thing. I got the whole. I got the whole T-shirt upstairs. So the incredible thing, uh, I think, the thing I most enjoyed about being in Japan is just the safety. You know, it's just so safe and it's so clean. But you know, like I said, the drunk culture there is crazy. Like I, they, if they get too drunk, they'll lay down in a parking lot and it just be like. It's just fine. I I remember I've seen this so many times, like groups of people asleep on the street because they got too drunk to make it home or they've been drinking all night long. And so where are they going to go? 
Mm -hmm. Like, I'm trying to make it home, but I got to pass out a little bit first to get my bearings, you know? (laughs) But it's, it's cool. There's a lot to do. And, um, yeah, it's awesome. So when you're ready to go, you let me know. You would enjoy it. There's, like I said, there's a lot to do. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's very quiet. Um, even at times when you would think it'd be pretty loud, it's not, Yeah. you know, um, but it, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I was moving back was really hard for me. Mm. It was really hard. Um, I loved, I still love my friends from Japan, but I love the, um, just the peace of being there. You know, I really enjoyed that. When we landed in the airport, it was such a culture shock. My kids were wearing headphones. They were like, it's so loud here. Why is there so much talking? Um, And my son, you know, he's 11. So he was, well, he was 10 when we left. But he, he, when we left the U.S. to go there, he was a good six or seven years old. So it's not like he doesn't know American life, but he becomes so accustomed to public quietness, you know, and, you know, not really being allowed to be loud on trains and things. Um, so it was, it's nice. And it's a, it's definitely a place we are considering going back to. Um, my husband retires in, this is 2020. So he retires in five years and he'll be completely retired. So, um, we have considered just going back to Japan and I'll resume my teaching career there. If I go back to teaching when he retires. Um, But yeah, it's, it's dope. So when did you meet your husband? Did you meet him at temple or do you meet him outside of that or? Yeah. I met him at temple. Oh, I like that. We, yeah. um, So I actually met him in front of 1940. (laughs) We were, really? Yes. So I was out with, I'm sorry, it's my kids. Um, I was out with my roommate and, well, actually I wasn't out with my roommate. I was out with just a couple of friends from Ambler Campus and that friends I'd met at Ambler Campus, but I actually had uh, moved to main campus at that time. I'm sorry, my kids keep texting me. They they want me to approve their request for Roblox. Roblox? <laughs> Roblox. It's a game that they like to play. Oh, but, what do they have to do? Like like connect with a Facebook or No, well, no, they're you have to pay for I have, something. I have their phones on lockdown. They're not allowed to do anything without my permission because people are weird and they do try to go through kids' phones and the hell yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't play those games. So, um, we, I was out one night with them walking through Leah Chorus Walk past 7-Eleven and there was my now husband, but he was with a group of his friends and we just walked by and Osmond, that's my husband's name. He's very quiet. Now, I think I'm quiet. I know compared to him, I'm not quiet. So he... Especially when you feel comfortable. Right. (laughs) So I think, I 
always thought that I maybe heard him try to say something, but I ignored him because in Philly, that's what dudes yeah. do. Yeah. They just start hollering and every woman knows you ignore it. Yeah. You got to keep walking. You got to keep walking. <laughs> so I, um, I did, I kept walking and I went over to J and H and I think we went to the calf there or something like that, the little cafeteria. Then we came back and he was still there with his friends hanging out in front of 1940. And he just asked if, you know, he said, oh, I was um, hoping I'd get your phone number, you know, so I'd call you sometime. And I was 19, like, you know. 1940 is, is the dorm right at the corner of like Diamond Street or, uh, or North Street, North Street at the end I of Leah Kors Walk. Yes, I think across from Annenberg. Yes. Cool. Just want to make sure I have the right thing in mind by the theater house. I think so. Yep. yep. I know there's the 7-Eleven there and well, it used to be Yeah. the 7-Eleven there. And then Peabody is across from 1940. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he just said, I was hoping I could get your number so I'd call you sometime. And I was like, no, not really. And so he, well, you know, no, I'm interested um, in this because these are like situations that I find myself in. So I'm <laughs> in, in like where I already know the spoiler alert is it was a success. Yes. Take, so, I am <laughs> taking notes. Go ahead. <laughs> so you said no. And then he did what magic trick? Go ahead. Uh, he looked at me and then, but, oh, wait. So I think I, all right. Actually, we met before that, and he tried to get in. I was having a conversation with my friend. We were in the sack. Yeah. And he came Black over. Black people love the sack. Oh, for real. Black people chilled in the sack oh. all day. Yes. The sack was so, like K-Hall. Yes, it was. <laughs> We were we were in the sack. I was having a conversation with my friend. He came over, and... He just kind of jumped in the conversation. I cut my eyes at him because I was like, I'm not talking to you. It's like, why are you in my conversation? You know, I was very, very. Now I'm really starting to see that part of myself. That as soon as you said that scenario, I would be like, oh, he doesn't belong. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I, I just told my girlfriend, I was like, all right, I got to go. So then I left later. I saw him again. And he asked for my number and I said, mm, no. And then he said, well, I was, you know, I was just hoping that we could get together and talk and I could get to know you a little better. So I said, okay, how about this? I said, I'm not going to give you my phone number, but you can give me yours. So he gave me his phone number and I, I don't remember how he got my number. I think I accidentally called him because it was the last number in my phone. That I, the last number that I saved in my Is this phone. a Freudian thing or you it was really an accident? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to call later, him you know. real quick and hang up just <laughs> so he has it. Let's see what he's got. <laughs> yeah. So he called. And wow. I, I called accidentally and then I just hung up and then he called back and then he asked if we could hang out. And I was like, no, you know, I'm about to go back to my apartment and go get some sleep or something like that. Now, this is like, literally, I gave him my number or he gave me his number. I accidentally called him. This is a matter of maybe 20 minutes uh-huh. that wow. he called me and asked, could he come over? And I was like, no, you can't come over. Like, I'm about to go home, go to bed. And I think maybe the next day he called again and we talked 
And as I started to talk to him more, I did start like liking him, but he always would ask me to be with him. And I was like, no, no. Like in those words, will you be with me? Yeah, he just used to say, like, you, you're trying to you trying to be my girl. And I'm like, what? I want to be in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't. Oh, like that's that. kind of cool. Yeah. He just and he did. He kept asking and he asked almost continuously for like a good 30 days. What before did you, I said yes. What were you were you looking for anything at that point? Were you did you not want to be in a relationship? Were you? Yeah, not really. I mean, I really wasn't. I mean, it didn't sound like you really dated anyway in high school too much. And so was it, was dating just not really? No, on full disclosure, he was light skinned and I didn't want to date no light skinned guys. (laughs) I was going to make a joke and say, you liked, you liked his light skinned style. Right. And he had, I seen his picture. He got the waves and all that. (laughs) I didn't. He could have been an R and B singer. He could have been in 112. He could have. What is this numbers in your pocket? (laughs) I remember when you (laughs) You used to throw those things away. away. You know, he, I I didn't. I didn't want to kick it with no light skin guys. I really didn't. You're light skin, right? Huh? You're light skin, right? I am. I didn't want that, though. Okay. But I forgave him because he's light skin because his father is Puerto Rican. So I said, I was going to say, he look like he mixed with some. Yeah. <laughs> you, you ain't all the way. You he mixed with some. <laughs> but yeah, that's a so, cool, that's a cool mix. Yeah. It's, it's, um, we, I really didn't, I think for me, it was just a matter of, I moved so much and I was never like a steady person. I mean, even with me being at Temple, remember my family's still living in the Poconos. My dad's still in the military. And the year before I met my husband, we moved again. Where they moved? And we moved to Harrisburg. Whoa. Yeah. So I was, I was only at Temple for one year when my parents moved to Harrisburg. After that, I moved to Harrisburg with them and was commuting back and forth to Temple every time I had class. How often was that? Um, so I was I was full time, but I took all my classes Tuesdays and Thursdays, so twice a week. But I was wow. on campus that's, all day. That's what I feel the situation was when I ran into you. I think you said like you're only here like two days a week, and I felt like mm-hmm. that was I felt like yeah, you were telling me that you weren't living on campus or near campus, and I was right. like, well, I'm never gonna be able to hang out with you. Um, yeah, I mean, he and I, we kicked it. And I didn't want to like him, and I did, and I liked him a lot, and I still like him a whole, whole lot. And here we are, 17 years later, you know? Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, 17. It's been 17 years. We've been married for 14. 14? 14. Wow. So you got married like right after graduation. Yeah. So you guys were together for what, like two years and then got married? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Wow. About that. Yeah. I know nothing that grown up. Like, yeah. Like that is like meet someone in college for two years, date for two years, get married. We weren't grown grown up enough to do that. We just did. How'd your family 
how did your family feel about that? Just, you know, being religious and, and very protective and wanting to know who all your friends were and from your church. Yeah. Was that feeling like with your family? Um, I always wanted my, I always wanted Osmond to meet my family before we got too, too serious. So I did like Osmond and I went on our first date but at that point, we went on our first like formal date. But at that point, we'd already, excuse me, developed an interest in one another, like a really a serious interest in one another. And I knew that it was going to be more than just, you know, friends or what I really thought it would be. So I did take him out to Harrisburg to meet my family, um, like the day after our first date. And he like... The crazy thing is, if you look at pictures of my siblings, my husband looks like he's one of us. It's really weird. Really? <laughs> it's very strange. Um, he actually looks like he's already, like he was already a part of our family. Um, if I didn't know his pappy, <laughs> I would have had some questions. He got snuck in there? Yeah, but you snuck know. Snuck in and sent out? <laughs> But he, you know, it, my, my, my mom, my parents didn't like that we were getting married so young, but they did know before we got married that that's what we wanted to do. Um, we had planned a wedding, but we never got around to it because he, we were engaged. He went to boot camp. When he came what branch out of boot camp, say that again. What branch was he in? Navy. Navy. Yeah. Um, and when he came out of boot camp, we knew or he knew that he was going to be deploying rather soon. So even though we had already been planning a wedding, we kind of had to forego that because we didn't know when or, you know, how long he would be available for us to have a wedding. Wow. So we were married in Waukegan, Illinois, by this minister. Um, who lived on 123 Jackson Street, but I don't know if you were, were you Michael Jack? You, you liked MJ. You loved MJ, right? So remember, there was um, like this interlude on one of their albums. I can't remember which one it was, but they would sing 2300 Jackson Street. It was like, no. this oh, I don't know Jackson five albums. Yes. So oh. there was this little interlude. And so um, I always, that was one of the reasons I chose this minister because of his address. Wait, what were you doing in Illinois? Was that where he was stationed? Was in boot camp. So once, once you graduated, and he, you guys graduated together in 05? I graduated. He didn't. He left and joined the Navy. But well, no, I'm sorry. He left and went to another school, and then he went to the Navy. And then once you graduated, you also moved with him to Illinois. You like, well, interestingly enough, when the year that I graduated, we moved again. My family moved again. Yeah, we moved to Michigan. And so when he joined the Navy and was in Illinois for boot camp, that was perfect because it's a very short drive. Right. Michigan and Illinois. So better than Pennsylvania. Much better. And so um, I drove out there. We would alternate weekends. So uh, I would go out a weekend. He would come out a weekend back and forth and so on and so forth. And 
one weekend, we just said, no, we're just going to go ahead and get married. Let's just do it. You know, wow. we were already engaged. We knew it was coming. And so we said, well, let's just get married. And we did. And, you know, as a, I would tell my kids, having done that myself, mm-hmm. that we kind of beat the odds. I wouldn't recommend that they do that. You know, I wouldn't recommend that they get in, get involved so young or fall in, fall so hard so young and get married as young as we did. Um, because I was engaged at 21, married at 23, and a mother at 26. Um, and I never lived on my own. I went from my parents' house to my husband's house. And, well, I mean, I had a roommate when I was in college. Right. But... You know, that's not the same as having your own place. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a totally different level of both freedom and responsibility that come with living on your own. Um, yeah. and you got to be mature enough to handle both. And so we had to grow up as a, you know, as a married couple. And that was a real challenge. Yeah. And it almost broke us more than once. Did you do that in Illinois? <laughs> um. So we got married in Illinois and then in 2000, so we got married in February, 2006 in Illinois. And then in August of 2006, he received two orders, one to move to Virginia and the other set of orders was to deploy. So we moved to Virginia and then as soon as we got to Virginia, they sent him out to his ship. He was on the enterprise and that was challenging because I had never lived that far away from home before. So my family's in Michigan, I'm in Virginia and I'm alone because my husband's deployed. And so what part of Virginia develop new friend, uh, Newport news. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. <laughs> but wow. I was, I was, Shout out to AI. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Bad news, VA. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Wow. But I lived near a base called Fort Eustis, which is actually closer to Williamsburg. So I wasn't necessarily in bad news, but we used to go to bad news to do like all our good shopping and stuff. We used to go to this, like this we call it Peddler's Village, where they sold stuff that came off the back of a truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Boy. Off the back of a truck. So we you see Michael Vick down there. <laughs> I didn't. Holy and shit! You I were didn't. you were in Newport News. I mean, uh-huh. I, can I ask you this? For you know, when you outline kind of like where you were living here and the the neighborhoods that your parents kind of moved to. Mm-hmm. Newport News is black. It is, but you know the interesting thing is when you live near a military installation, you see a different side of certain communities. Uh, so they always seem to put military bases in bad or quote unquote bad neighborhoods. I won't say they're not bad neighborhoods. They're impoverished neighborhoods more sure, often right, than not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's typically where they put military bases. And so there's a sense of security that comes with being both on the base and on the outskirts because, you know, the police are going to respond right away if you're close to the base. So we okay. had, I think, that safety net, but also we had 
Um, there was there was a good amount of diversity, but that came with being in that military community. Mm. So yeah, it was actually. I mean, I didn't see so. Where we lived in Newport News, you had to cross the bri- a bridge to get into Bad News. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is the name of that bridge? I don't remember. But yeah, there was a bridge you had to cross to get into Bad News. Um, and we would go, but we knew not to be there after sundown. We knew better than to go down there when the, when the streetlights came on. Is it the James River Bridge? Yes, that's it. <laughs> So this is the new thing now with having this on Zoom. I got another monitor here. I can look things up. Oh, you can look up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, was it the James River Bridge? Was it the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnels? No. The James River no, Fishing No, it wasn't Pier? that. I, I think it was the James River. A but four, yeah, that H- Wikipedia calls it a four-lane divided highway across the James River. Connects Newport Newport News That's on the it. Virginia Peninsula with Isle mm-hmm. White Camp, White, uh, White County, yeah. in the Southampton Road, uh, Southampton Roads region. Yeah, that's it. It's the James River Bridge, but I know that H the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. I dreaded go. We that's where the Navy base was. So Osmond had to drive out there to go to work. Mm-hmm. But the traffic on that bridge was ridiculous. So I stayed far away from it because I don't have the patience for traffic. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was very, I, 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 tend, I used to think that when you were young, you always kind of started out in like more impoverished neighborhoods than other places because you stay where you can afford. And when you're young, more often than not, there's not a whole lot you can afford when you're young and just starting out. Um, But our neighborhood, like I said, was still fairly, it was still fairly decent. And we had black folks in our neighborhood, Hispanic, we had white folks in our neighborhood. Um, There were Asians in our neighborhood. So we really did have some diversity there. Yeah, it was cool. At what point? So what point do you, when did you start having kids? So your husband's like not here. And then where are you when you start, you have two kids. When does that start happening? So he, he was on, when he came back from that deployment, it was November of 2006. So he was gone for three months. Um, we still weren't necessarily ready to have kids. And honestly, after having almost raised my brother and sister, the idea of being a parent was very scary to me. Yeah. Um, and so we had kind of decided that we were going to hold off for a little while, but then the following year he was deployed again, excuse me. And, and when I think that deployment happened in the summer and it was a six month deployment. Yes. So he left around June or July. He left in, excuse me, July. And then he came back in December. So he came back or when he left, um, right before he left, we talked about, you know, having kids. And I, you know, I said, well, you know, if, are we going to be the kind of people who like plan and try and worry about when we're ovulating and when's the right time to, you know, do everything so we can have kids. But he's, you know, he said, no, you know, we just want to have a good time. And if it happens, it happens, it happens. And, it's, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. So I said, all right, well, we're going to continue taking birth control or what do you want to do? 
So we said, again, just we'll stop using the birth control. And if whatever you know, happens, whatever happens. happens, happens. And so he came home December 19th. And Daniel Rosario was born September 19th. Wait, so let me do the math. <laughs> that is 12. He was born what? September what? 19th. So December 19th to September That's 19th. literally nine months. At to the day. To of the what day. year? He, he was uh, 2008. He was born 2008. So it was a leap year. So he had an extra day. It's like a, yeah. a year and a day. Literally a year and a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I'm giddy. Um, so, well, you know, and the interesting thing is, we were never. Um, I think I was always concerned that I don't know why. I, well, I was always concerned about being a parent. Um, but in, and in the back of my mind, I was always worried that I was going to have to try like, Oh, like what's going to happen if we try to have a baby and then it doesn't work. And then I can't, disappointment, you know, you mean? you mean disappointment? Um, I think it was, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it, it affects your sense of femininity when mm. you believe that you're supposed to be able to have children and you now you can't um and it it affects it does affect the way you feel about yourself i think um as a woman and so before even before he was home and I, like i had this anxiety about whether or not we were going to be able to conceive and i was young so i didn't really have a reason to think that i wouldn't be able to but just this you know oh my god what if we can't and so um when we were able to conceive like that, it was just kind of like, well, okay, well, that, that was done. And I was surprised. I was surprised to find out that I was pregnant. Um, and I, <laughs> my mother knew. She saw me. We, we had visited Michigan, I think, for Christmas. We flew home for Christmas, or not home, but we flew to Michigan for Christmas. And my mother kept dropping hints. She was like, you guys going to have kids anytime soon? And I was like, nope. I had no babies. <laughs> did you know at that point? I didn't. But she wow. did. And I probably... Snatching I the wine out your hand? Like, don't drink that. <laughs> I honestly could not have been more than two or three weeks. And she just kept dropping these hints. Well, when are we going to have grandkids? Because I really would like some grand. And I just was like, I don't know. Like, we're not pressed about having kids. And within a week or so, I found out that I was for sure pregnant. And I wow. called my mom and she said, I already knew. So I'm like, but yeah. So, wow. and then, so our plan was one. Um, we that's clearly, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> so our plan was one kid and our relationship, like I said, we were married very young and we struggled, um, with, I think both of us were just kind of trying to find ourselves as adults and figure out who we wanted to be, what we wanted to do with our lives, what made us happy and what made us unhappy. And we could not seem to get on the same page. And so around about 2010, 
2010 or 11, we moved to Chicago. And I love from Chicago Virginia. too. Yeah, from Virginia. Back to um, Illinois. Yeah, right back, right? Right back to where back everything to, you close started. to your parents again. Yeah. Where, where um, are his parents from? His parents are from Philly too. They're from Mount Airy. Oh, okay. Well, his mother is, his father is from Puerto Rico, still lives in Puerto Rico. Okay. So we um, weren't doing well and we decided we were going to split. Mm. And um, we've actually had that conversation like, or at back then we'd had that conversation so many times we decided we were going to split, um, but we weren't acting like we were going to split. So there was a day I went to work and I was like so sick. I just, and I kept feeling like I was just going to throw up. I'm, I'm at work like, Oh, I'm sweating profusely. And the, one of the students, I was substitute teaching at the time. And one of the students came in and she said, you don't look okay. And I said, I don't feel okay. So I, I call in the principal and I'm like, listen, I got to go. Like, I'm really sick. I can't stay. Um, and I was nauseous like all day. And, um, I said, so they let me go early and I, for some reason, I think I already kind of had an appointment with an attorney that day. I think I did. Yeah, it was like a few hours later. I went home, took a nap, and then went to meet with my attorney so that we could start working on splitting. It was that serious. Oh, yeah. It was very serious. And I started talking to her, and she could see I'm sick. And she says, why are you? Like, she said, why are you sweating? Are you okay? And I said, oh, I just feel really nauseous. So, like, can we wrap this up? And, you know, I'll come back another day. And she asked if I was pregnant. I said, no, I'm not pregnant. Of course not. You so know. you were still having sex. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so despite the problems, you're still physically attracted to each other. Right, right, right. Um, and so uh. she said, <laughs> she opens her desk drawer and she's got a drawer full of pregnancy tests. No. That's a good lawyer. That's a good lawyer. He's a good lawyer. So she takes them and she takes one and she says, I need you to go take this before we finish our meeting. I said, okay. So I went in the bathroom, took the test, pregnant. So now I'm devastated, right? Not just because, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to have another baby. I was... I didn't want more kids, but I was okay with having another baby. It wasn't, you know, it was a life. But the whole but situation just, you're in right now. Yeah, I was panicking because I'm like, I'm getting ready to get a divorce. I can't have a second kid. Now I'm going to be by myself with two kids and I'm still going to be dealing with him. You know, like it was, it was a lot. So I went back to her office and I showed her I was pregnant. She said, she said, here's the phone number to a couple's therapist. You guys go and work it out because now you got two kids in the mix. And I went home. I told Osmond I was pregnant and we both just cried <laughs> because, I mean, those, it was just so like, what do we do now? Like, we really, yeah, it was shocking. It was really shocking. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do, you know? And I didn't want to put the pressure of saving our marriage on our children. Sure. 
you know, um, I didn't, and I didn't want to be in a marriage where the two of us stayed together because we had kids. I wanted to be with my best friend and I wanted to have a friendship and I, you know, it's still that way. I want to have a friendship with my husband. So, and we are good friends now, but it took us growing up in our marriage to do that. So I, if I can tell people to wait and when they're like 21, 22, marrying their high school sweetheart that's always like the first thing i say like just keep dating and wait you know just yeah it'll spare you'll have a much happier marriage if you wait a little while longer so when does when does uh japan come in the mix from chicago so <laughs> or i guess i guess when does the, the when does the baby happen <laughs> right so she came September 2012, another leap year. Wow. Um, yeah, another leap year, another year we elected a black president. There you go. Um, right? We got two Obama administrations. <laughs> Pulling it down. Yeah. So um, we had, after she was born, um, we. You know, we, we stayed in Chicago, I think another, and that's, her name is Grace. So after we had her, we stayed in Chicago again uh, for another two years. So we were there until 2014. My husband got orders to Bahrain and I really wanted to go. And a friend of mine and I, her husband was Navy too. Our, both of our husbands got orders to Bahrain. So we were so excited to go together because we're like, we are going to Dubai all the time. <laughs> we, were, we had this whole thing planned out. She was just having a baby and I had just had a baby. And so we were just going to be raising our kids together in Dubai and so I'm looking because I don't know anything about Dubai or Dubai or even Bahrain. So I'm looking, it's in the Middle East. Yes. So Dubai is just this. I'm, land I'm really jealous right now. These are things that like my world, I've never out like Canada, a couple other spots. I don't know much about international travel. So oh, you got to do it. And I mean, I actually, like I'm looking at all these, do, I'm looking at all like these water. You. This map with all this water, I'm just like, ooh, it's a lot of blue. <laughs> right. A lot of blue I have to fly over. Yeah. Um, so, but we never, I, myself and the kids never made it to Bahrain because when Osman left, it was during the school year. And we didn't want to interrupt my son's school year. Sure. So we said, okay, you go ahead and then we'll come and join you at Christmas break. And when he arrived in Bahrain, his command told him, we're not going to pay for them to come out here. You're here. So now they can't come. So. So would you have had to have go with him, gone with him for it to yeah. be? Oh. Yeah. And that's not, that's not always the case when families travel separately. Um, but that was unfortunately the case this time. And I'm, I, to this day, I still don't know why. And, you know, mm. the military doesn't owe anybody an explanation. for sure. So, yeah, they told him that we couldn't come anymore. So we stayed behind. And he was In Chicago. Um, for a while we were there and then I went to Michigan so I could have some help because my parents and my brother and sister were close by. 
So I just went back to Michigan um, to get help. And I had a job, you know, I was able to get a job there. And what were you um, doing around that time? Um, so I was working in childcare, but I decided to finish my master's because I started my master's when I was pregnant with my daughter. Before I found out I was pregnant, I got accepted into my program. And so when I, when I had, by the time I had her, my first semester was ending and I had to, I was in labor. So it was like, and I got a new baby and I have a four year old. And so I had to drop school. So when he left, I said, you know, I'm close to my parents my brother and sister, maybe they can help. And I went back to school and finished my master's while he was away. So when he came back in 2016, I was Kelly Rosario MSCD. And, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. And then Japan right after that. So I graduated, I got my master's in May. He came home in May, 2016. I got my, I'm sorry. I got my master's in May, 2016. He came home in June, 2016. And by July 1st, we were in Japan. We were in Tokyo. Wow. Yep. It was a lot. I mean, my life moves very fast and it doesn't seem that way. Um, I think that's why I'm such a homebody because things are always moving all the time Makes for sense. me. So I think that's why I really enjoy my porch. <laughs> that's why it's funny when you went, that's why I stopped for a second because I was like, all right, Japan. And then I, because we were talking about it and then I thought, oh my God, wait, you had, you had two kids before that ever happened. Like when I see pictures of your kids, your kids look like they were like four and mm-hmm. like eight or something like that. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, wait, you had a whole life before it, by the time you got married and you're in Newport News, you had a whole life before you ever got to Japan because you raised yeah. two kids who, you know, look like little people by the time I was seeing pictures <laughs> in yeah. Japan. So like, that's just wild to me. I mean, that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, as when this is over, I just want to put down all my money and just go to Japan. Can we just do that as a trip? Listen, I don't, Japan, let's do Asia. I, I took my kids to Singapore one year for spring break. Amazing. I took them to Malaysia for spring break once. We spent some time in the jungle. Like, listen, I, as much as I love all parts of the world, like I did Europe as a kid, you know, we lived in Germany for some time and we went to Paris and um, went back then. It was Czechoslovakia, but now Czech Republic. But, you know, we visited those places. Nothing for me has had this, has given me the same thrill as, as Asia in general. Like there's just so many parts of Asia to enjoy. I like it. You're back home. You were in Detroit for, you were in, or you were in Michigan for a hot second, right? When you came back from the, when you came back from Japan and then yeah. settled back here and now you're, you're in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always tend to return to Michigan because my parents and my siblings are there. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, 
spent some time with them. I didn't know that then when you were like stationed there, I thought maybe you were like working that maybe that's where you guys got stationed and you were working there. And then like within like a month, it seemed like you were in coming back East. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do kind of frequently take breaks and head to Michigan for a little bit. And then being a teacher, I have my summers off. So it's nothing for me to just head out to Michigan for the summer. You know? Yeah. Um, and spend some time with my parents so that my kids can be with their grandparents. Um, because, you know, the, the grands, you don't get them forever. And my parents are young people, but, you know, they're not going to be in their 50s forever. One of right. these days, they're going to be in their 80s and 90s if we're blessed to have them that long. So very true. try to let them get their time in. And I was very attached to my pop-up as a child. So those relationships, I, you know, I see the value in them for sure. Um, can I ask you about like things getting better with your husband? Because the way you last kind of like categorized the relationship was you were in a, in a lawyer's office to get a divorce. Yes. Uh, and then he found out you were pregnant and then we kind of just jumped to you moving to Japan, but can you just talk about just you? And, oh, yeah. But previous to that, you talked about how in love you are with your husband. Can you just talk about the turning point or just things being so positive Um, for you guys? I think it was, you know, finding out that we were having another kid forced us to realize that we had to become adults, you know, like, okay, we made this decision to marry young, but now we really have to work out these demons that we're both fighting with ourselves. You know, it was just Mm -hmm. always, I want my freedom but I want my husband and I want my wife, you know, I I, want to do me, but I want this relationship too. So we had to say, okay, we have to establish, um, I guess first a relationship that, how do I say this? We had to develop something that we hadn't had yet. We, we, we had to actually learn to be friends. We, we kind of jumped right into dating each other because we were interested in one another. Um, but we weren't friends first. And so we had to really kind of start our relationship all over again and develop a friendship and start to see value in the little things we did for each other. So for example, I'm very particular about how I like things, right? So my husband might get up in the morning and get breakfast for himself. And then he'll get my, he'll get me some breakfast. He'll get me a bowl of cereal. Well, I like my cereal to be crunchy and I like my milk to be ice cold, but he might bring me the cereal and it's too soggy at that point. So then instead of me appreciating that he brought me some breakfast, knowing I was hungry, I might be like, why would you bring me this cereal all soggy like this like you know I'm not gonna eat this you know so those things are a lot of that has to do with growing up you know we had to learn to see the bad that we had to learn to see that stuff as good and not as bad and to stop criticizing each other but yeah that was kind of the it's funny I came up with that example because Osmond loves cereal so that's he would have been proud of that <laughs> but um, yeah, friendship and then it just got better. You know, we it's introspect. Every single time you encounter a conflict with another person, and it doesn't have to be just 
a person that you're in love with or somebody you're in a relationship with. It can be a stranger. When you do, when you encounter conflict with another person, the first thing you have to do as a responsible and rationally thinking person is ask yourself, am I part of this problem that's happening right now? How did I contribute to this? You know, and that's really my first, I had to train myself to do that, to say, okay, we're arguing right now. Is it because what did I, did I say something? Um, or could I have said that in a way that was less insensitive or, you know, or, or instead of complaining to him about this soggy cereal, maybe I could just say, thank you for thinking of me, you know, and maybe not necessarily eat it, <laughs> but say, you know what, honey, that was so thoughtful. Um, and I think we kind of overlook stuff like that in all, not just relationships, but interactions with humans, period. We criticize or we only, we really only see things that we don't like as opposed to seeing the things um, or seeing the heart behind what someone has done for us. Mm. So, yeah. fucking deep. <laughs> That's deep. Cereal bowl deep. <laughs> So when I was uh, doing JP on Monday mm -hmm. is when I came to the realization that the, the shitty thing about this podcast now that I have to do them all on Zoom is that I can't get anyone to sign the yearbook. Oh. So like the whole, just for my own personal, because I don't even post them, but yeah. just the whole personal like having people who never sign my yearbook sign my yearbook, yeah. you know, is gone. But here you weren't even in, in the yearbook. <laughs> yep. I wasn't. I know, right? This conversation went as well as it went the way I thought it was gonna do. I thought it was gonna be oh. mostly laughing and joking around. So I'm glad that uh that that happens. I mean, like I said, I listened to your show, so um, it went as expected. So I oh, mean, I yeah. had a great time. I had a great oh, time. So, yeah, I awesome. did, and I was so excited to do it. So I I feel privileged that you asked me. Yes. Yes, I do. I feel privileged that you asked me because I'm a fan. I was listening to the show like this nigga is crazy. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> no, the second I thought I might lose complete connection from you, I was like, well, I have to, I have to yeah. talk to you then, you know? Well, I, I need to message you my number so we can stay in touch. And yeah. especially because when I come to Philly, we got to get the black cool kids together. Please, so, please. And yeah. let's, you know, I'd love to meet, meet your husband, kids. Yeah. Let's do, let's do food and all that stuff. I want to see oh, when you get listen, here. Listen, nigga, you ain't got to tell me twice. You, you say food. Let's do food. <laughs> You say poo, and that's all I need to hear. I'm in. So, all right. Well, thank you for asking. Thank you. I had so much fun. This is the best afternoon I've had in a long time. Good. All right. Well, I'll talk to all you right. later. I'm actually going to message you right now. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll right. send you all my info. All right. Bye. Bye. I don't know how to. Okay. There we go. <laughs> all right. That was Kelly Rosario. Uh, we talked about a lot of topics, uh, jumped all over the place, lots of personal things that Kelly shared uh, about her family, her marriage, her children, and even her feelings about uh, our high school and college classmate, Keyshawn, uh, which I really was not expecting. Um, I actually, I talk to Kelly a lot now, and it's almost like we have the ability now to create that that friendship 
that we both kind of talked about wanting to have in high school. We're talking about music and we're still talking about Martin and uh, sharing our black experiences with each other. And um, as I mentioned on the video, by the time the podcast was finished, it's nighttime. And so there's obviously a lot more conversation that we had. And some of that might find its way up onto the YouTube channel at some point. And it's youtube.com slash redshirtplayer. You can subscribe and first watch rewatch a new wire recap episode by episode with me and my buddy, Sean, check it out. More stuff coming for this podcast on there as well. If you like doing this audio thing, I appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe so that you're getting all the updates, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff. The new Facebook at WWF We're going to start having some fun in there. And of course the Instagram, we weren't friends in high school. In two weeks, my guest will be Tom Scuderi. I think I thought I knew what kind of a kid Tom was. Um, but I think Tom is someone that I tried to fit into a stereotype that probably wasn't right. Uh, and I'll kind of find that out during this interview. Um, but it's a great sample of me just kind of, I don't know, assuming that all the quote unquote popular kids uh, were the same. And so we'll get to find out where Tom saw himself and, and what his life was like and the close relationship that he had with his brother, Joe, who passed away several years ago. Tom is also a chef, and that's something I've kind of admired from afar. So we'll get to hear about uh, Tom's favorite foods, meeting his wife and the restaurant that he just launched. And we'll get to kind of hear some of the effects that this quarantine has had on his brand new business. I think Tom is someone that I, I've kind of wanted to have a conversation with for a while now. He just kind of seemed like fun and I'm really into cooking. And so when I would see a lot of his posts, I kind of wanted to, I don't know, engage a little bit more. So I'm really glad that this podcast uh, afforded me the opportunity to, I guess, really more so push myself to reach out and have the conversation with Tom. Don't forget tomorrow, Tuesday, I'll be on Volcano Vinyl, episode 271. It's a hip hop album. It's a classic. It's in the 90s. Go check it out. All right. I think that's it. Uh, hope everyone stays safe, stay sane, and uh, I'll see everyone in two weeks on a Monday morning with episode 203 and Tom Scuderi. Later. <laughs>